Uh, 100% of the national championship. X Games Gold was pretty freaking cool watching X Games your whole life, you know, growing up and blah, 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 you know, ESPN. But my whole life revolved around flat track and the Grand National Championship. And to come up so short, every, you know, many times, I, sh- I should say, and to finally get it straight up, Jared broke at X Games. So that's kind of how I got the gold. But to win the national championship straight up, after having to ride 450s too that year, still it wasn't just twins. Um, I felt like I really earned it, and that was kind of my lifelong goal. So, episode 71, Tank Slapping Podcast. Uh, man, it's been like two weeks since I've done a show. Been on the road traveling, living in a van, you know, living the dream, I guess you could say. And back on the podcast today, got a, a really special co-host and a really, really good guest. I'm, I'm actually really stoked on. But uh, introductions for the co-host, you know him. He's been on here a lot, man. It's uh, good to have Jake Johnson back on the show, man. Yeah, what's going on? It's uh, been a little while. <laughs> well, the last time you were on, it was uh, it was like a bagger edition, man. You were all hype on the bagger, and uh, got to talk about that a little bit. What what have you been up to? Uh not much, really. Just uh, living the normal man life, working, raising a kid. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's been good. Not much, not much bagger action uh, since the last uh, the last we talked. Um, uh, recently, Bagger recently just uh, announced, I guess, round two in Sonoma in December. So um, I guess I'm going to have to start getting getting kind of back into shape for that one. I've been uh, been pretty lazy here lately. I haven't been riding. I haven't been doing a whole lot. So uh, I have to start getting prepped for that one. How do you prep for Bagger racing? Just pull your Harley out of the garage and go get groceries? Or what, what's the prep? What's the Bagger <laughs> prep? Do you, could they send you a, a Bagger, dude? Or? uh well just uh, yeah i don't know just doing something physical i guess i haven't really been doing a whole lot i got the i got the beer drinking part down i haven't i haven't uh i haven't gotten out of beer shape um so yeah i just got to get in the in the little bit of motorcycle riding shape uh races aren't terribly long in that but it is a five six hundred pound motorcycle so that thing will kick your ass pretty quick. So, um, yeah, I'm going to have to do, do something between now and then. At least at least hit the moto track once or twice. That, that'll be good enough. <laughs> yeah, I saw that their um, Moto America announced they're doing the, the bagger uh, class at Daytona next year. I, that's badass, man. Um, that's uh, That's got me intrigued a little bit. That's one of my – I've only road raced a handful of tracks, and Daytona was probably one of my favorites. I thought that was a lot of fun, but um, – what are your thoughts on that? It's pretty cool. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's probably the only, probably one of the few motorcycles that I would actually ride at Daytona, like uh, a superbike or even a six hundred. I don't think I need to go that fast, um, but a bagger, you know, I mean, uh, maybe what's that thing going to do? Maybe one hundred and fifty. You know, so you could, by the time you come out of the, 
out of the whatever they call it on the back straightaway, the chicane on the back straightaway, all the way around the banking, all the way down the front straightaway to turn one. I mean, you can put your feet up on the cruising pegs, turn the radio <laughs> up, you know, have a snack. Um, I think I think I'd be okay with that. So um, it doesn't look like I'll be doing any Moto America stuff next year. It'll probably be just strictly. Uh, um, DRL, but uh, be cool to get the opportunity to uh, go spend some laps at Daytona just to say I got to do it because I, I never have. So yeah, yeah, it's I've I've done it on a on an XR twelve hundred and uh, same deal. I f- I feel like uh, our our top speed was like seventy three mile an hour on the back straightaway, but it was <laughs> it was cool to ride. You know, like an iconic racetrack that like Richard Petty and Dale Earnhardt raced on. I mean, it, for me that was. That was badass. I mean, you see, where, you see where my priorities are, Jake. I, I mentioned that they're bringing the baggers there next year, but I didn't mention the the two hundred. <laughs> so um, they're bringing back the two hundred as well, Moto America. But um, yeah, the baggers. I saw that. I was I was pretty hyped. So um, let's. Uh, there's a lot to talk about, man. We got Brian Smith coming on the show. You've raced Brian for golly man decades you guys been racing against one another and um excited for us to talk with him and we've never had brian on the show it's uh it'll be an interesting interview he's he's a pretty interesting guy man he's super accomplished and um you know just always has kind of done things his way and i got a lot of respect for that so we'll get him on the show i also want to talk about um springfield a lot of shit happened at springfield and sacramento as well we'll touch upon that um, before we get into that, I just want to shout out our sponsors real fast and make it happen. Bell Power Sports. Check out bellhelmets.com to view their full line of products. If you start tank slapping, you want to be protected by Bell. Yamaha Motorsports and Yamaha Racing. Check out their website at yamahamotorsports.com. Motorcycle, ATV, side-by-side, snowmobile, and power products. Yamaha revs your heart. Moto America, they're racing this weekend at Barber. Uh, most of the championships got wrapped up last weekend in New Jersey. But their uh, final round at Barber this weekend, Junior Cup, Superbike, Super Sport, Stock 1000, Twins Cup. If you're in the area, Alabama, beautiful racetrack, check them out. Go uh, buy tickets and uh, go watch the racing. And if you can't be there, subscribe. Motor America Live Plus Package. Indian Motorcycle. Since 1901, Indian Motorcycle has been the choice of riders who make their own rules. Check out a local dealership near you and go test ride a bike. Try the new Scout, FTR, the Indian Challenger we talk about on the show um, big supporters of our podcast racing in general, and they do a lot of good for flat track roof systems of Dallas, Texas, Jerry Stinchfield, commercial roof systems.net, nearly 40 years of experience. Want to give Jerry a big shout out for all his support and flat track keeps the support going, helps out, you know, 30 teams. It seems like he does a lot, a lot of good. And we appreciate uncle Jerry Dunlop motorcycle tires, the official tire of the American flat track series. Check out their website, Dunlop motorcycle tires.com motocross road race and flat track uh, make sure you snag your tires and then brandy wine harley davidson tommy hanum chad's fort pennsylvania tommy's been in business for 65 years parts motor clothes new and used bikes service make sure you check them out facebook and social media uh, their physical address for that location is 1214 baltimore pike chad's ford pa um just really appreciate all the sponsors for for keeping us going and like again i just you know sorry for the lack of pod i uh been traveling in the van and traveling in the van with a, a four-year-old and my wife and I was not in any pod mood uh so back at it Jake what are your thoughts on uh before we get into SAC and Springfield um Brian Smith on the show man I know uh you like I said you guys raced a lot together 
Yeah, pretty much. Uh, he's uh, one year ahead of me. He's pretty much one, you know, one year older than me. So we pretty much raced together our entire pro careers. Um, uh, raced a little bit together. I think one year at amateur nationals. Um, so I never did amateur nationals much. I did two years on an 80 and then my last two years amateur. So um, we got to race a little bit amateur nationals. That's when I met Brian, I think back in 1998 or 99. And uh, yeah, so yeah, we've been racing each other that long. So um, a lot of good battles, a lot of good stories. Um, yeah, stories that maybe we could tell on this podcast. I'm not really sure. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, see what the vibe is. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it was always cool. Um, me and him, we've always, you know, pretty much raced each other clean. Like I said, had some good battles. He's ran me over a couple times in some spectacular crashes. I think I ran him over a couple times in some spectacular crashes. So we've, uh, um, you know, always got along pretty good. I think I did get a little shitty with him at Atlanta last year, but you know, I guess it's going to happen after racing each other for 20 years, but <laughs> we were all good. We were all good about 30 minutes later. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're just, I was, I was just getting old and grumpy at that point, but no, um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, sad to see the the guys go. I mean, there's only what two guys really left in my generation. You know, Mies, which will be racing until he's you know collect till he's eligible to collect Social Security, and uh, uh, Halbert. I mean, those are pretty yeah. much the only two old old guys left. So, and Halbert's you know a few years younger than me. So. Um, yeah, yeah I, think Sammy's, uh, I think Sammy's my age or maybe a year older. I forget how old Sammy is. Everybody lies about their fucking age anymore. I don't know how old anybody is. Wiles, he was, he's been 39 or 31 years old for like six years. It's like, I don't know how old that guy is, but um, <laughs> yeah, it'll be, it'll be good. I mean, I, I've kind of grew up watching Brian as a fan because I didn't race when I was, you know, when he was pro, I was just a fan. Like I was going to the races with my dad watching you guys race. So I've always watched Brian. I remember his first win at Daytona short track. I was really hype about. Um, so I've, I've been a Brian fan and then just haven't really hung out with Brian a lot, man. I just, uh, for whatever reason, I've never been super close to them off the racetrack, but got a lot of respect for his riding and, and, uh, and what, how he's kind of done what he's done. Um, just underrated as far as a rider goes. And um, he's got the one championship, but you know, for a few years there, he was, he was a, he was a tough tough out man and uh a lot of a lot of good stories i'm excited to talk with him um i did want to talk about springfield and sack and we could probably have a whole show on this but um uh-huh. i wanted to kind of i guess we'll just start i have a few notes here springfield short track obviously i don't know if you watched it jake but there was a, a lot of chaos going on um this might be old news, but I, I just thought we'd touch upon it because I haven't got to share any insight. I kind of stay off Facebook. Uh, I don't. I, I shouldn't be commenting on there, but that's a full time job. So, yeah, the short track, um, the Trevor Bruner Dallas Daniels deal. Um, Bruner slid into Dallas there on the last lap. I saw it coming, man. I was like, dude, he's gonna go back for this win because these kids are aggressive. And um, my thoughts before I'll, I'll see what you think, but. I thought it was an aggressive pass, but nothing over the line, really. Um, you know, and that's non non biased at all. Like I like Dallas and I like Trevor. 
I didn't think it, on a short track, it was nothing like over the top. I was like, Oh, that was aggressive. I think it was extra kind of, um, people, it got more attention because Dallas was battling for the points lead. If it was two guys that were, you know, not in the points hunt and that happened, I don't think it would have gotten as much flack. Um, it was super aggressive, but then the ruling with, um, I woke up the next morning and it said Daniels sweeps Springfield short track. I was like, no, he didn't. He didn't finish the first race. And then I read the, I read the rule and they, they docked Trevor. I forget. Like, I think they docked him a lap or whatever. Um, and then Dallas got the win. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, man? I, uh, for me, I don't have any strong thoughts on it. I just think it's um, like, I'm okay with docking Trevor or penalizing him for the takeout um kind of like like i said i didn't think it was that bad but i can understand that but giving a win to somebody regardless of who it was and they didn't finish the finish the race was it was a tough one for me to kind of understand um you know dallas would have won for sure if that didn't happen but um it did happen so for me i've never seen anything like that i thought that was interesting yeah yeah interesting for sure um yeah, and I'm in the same boat. I, I don't know Trevor whatsoever. I, I think, you know, I've probably nodded and waved to him in the pits at some time, you know, so I, I don't I don't know him whatsoever. Um, you know, he seems like a decent kid, you know, obviously wants to win aggressive. Dallas, you know, I've been teammates with him, hung out with him, known his dad for a long time. So, you know, so I'm I'm the same way. I like both the both of them. They're both good riders. So but yeah, the call they made, I don't, I don't agree with whatsoever. Um, I don't know. I mean, for as long as I've been racing, if you get knocked down, I've been knocked down. I've knocked guys down. But like, I, I've never seen a ruling where the guy that didn't fall down got put to the back. Like, was the cause of the red flag? Usually, no matter what, if you hit the ground. You're the cause of the red, whether that's right, wrong, not, that's always how it's been. Um, and yeah, to give a win to somebody that was laying on the ground, I mean, okay, let's, you know, it would have been better if they made that ruling, you know, it still would have been questionable, but you got to race for the win. Like, okay, here's the ruling. Uh, Trevor, you caused the, you caused the red uh dallas you got taken out you get to go back to the front we're going to do a five lap uh five lap restart at least finish you know at least have the winner finish on two wheels like it it at least make it look look a little better but as far as the pass yeah it was aggressive but it's a short track it's the last lap it's for a win i mean that's short track racing i mean it was aggressive Obviously, Trevor did not want that to happen. He wanted to win the race, but he didn't want Dallas to hit the ground. Um, I think he was a little, uh, a little quick to uh, admit guilt on the podium. But I agree. He's a kid. He <laughs> felt bad. He, he's a kid. He felt bad. You know, like he didn't know what to do. I mean, I, I get it. Um, That's, that was my thing yeah, too. I, I'm like, man, don't apologize. Like, I get it. You feel bad, but it's like. It's like, it's like when a pitcher hits a batter and they didn't mean it. Like you never see a pitcher apologize. It's like, dude, it's, it's racing. Like, um, I thought he was way too apologetic. Like, yeah, you didn't mean to take him out, but, um, kind of the way he, he apologized, like 
right away and and just like made himself feel so bad about it it's like dude it's it's cool bro like uh i like i said i think the points implications with dallas that kind of that weighed more heavy on the whole situation but at the end of the day i'm like man like i even reached out to him i'm like dude it shit happens man like i wouldn't you know I would say sorry to Dallas or whatever. And, you know, say, obviously you didn't mean it. And if he can accept it, which I'm sure he was, Dallas handled it really well. I was really impressed. Not, 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 not impressed, but it was cause that's how, you know, Dallas and Nick are, but they handled it like champs, man. I was like, dude, he's handling it so well. Um, but Trevor, I'm like, bro, don't, don't apologize that much. Like it's, it's short track racing. You, you know, it's um, yeah, that was, that was one, one thing I was like, God, I thought he was over apologetic. Not like, not that I'm an asshole or anything, but I just like, I don't know if I would have like fully, like right away, like apologized that, that much. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, I think it looked like, I think that was like worst case scenario. Like the, the obviously if I was Dallas, yeah, I would be pissed. I'd be, you know, that son of a bitch, dirty ride, you know, like if you're in those shoes, you're going to be mad. And, uh, you know, and if you're in Trevor's shoes, like you're going for the win. Um, but I think it was just like, I think it, it was the, it was worst case scenario, the way Dallas crashed it. it I think it made it look way worse than what it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because it wasn't, it wasn't a straight T-bone. Like you could see Trevor get in there. He got in there aggressive. And I think he kind of hit a hole. It kind of stood him up. It looks like Dallas's foot got ran over, so he couldn't catch himself. And then, yeah. you know, the bike went <laughs> flipping. Like, it looked super dramatic. Um, like, the, the only thing that I could closely compare it to is, like, when Dylan Ferrandez took out Christian Craig a couple years ago in Supercross. <laughs> that was really hard. Like, I it was an address. It was. It was. <laughs> but, like, the way he hit him on that berm and, like, if they were on him. flat yeah. ground, if they were on flat ground, Craig wouldn't even went down. But he was on top of the berm, yeah. and it was just like at, at first watch, like it was like, oh my god, he just got t-boned. That guy hit him so hard, and then you watch it again and again and again, and it was like, you know, it was still a, kind of a dumb pass. It wasn't like last lap for the win, like. But anyway, I think it just ended up looking more dramatic than what it was. Yeah, a lot of people said that, oh, he wouldn't have made the turn if he didn't hit him. And I'm like, come on, he would have made the turn. It wasn't that bad. Like it was, it was aggressive, but it wasn't, I didn't, um, I didn't think it was like gnarly. I was like, oh, I was aggressive. Like, but we, shit, that happens every lap. Like, and just guys don't fall, you know, when people fall, it's right. like shit, man. But people get hit twice as hard as that and they don't fall and there's no issue. Um, so that was, that was interesting, man. And they kind of, you know, we'll talk about it kind of, there was an incident in Sacramento um, with Shana, actually, I'll, we'll talk about that here in a minute, but um, kind of a similar deal. I wanted to get, I don't trying to just understand the rules a little bit on this, on this, t this takeout stuff, because it's never been a thing for us. Like you get taken out. Um, you know, the only instance I know of like somebody getting fined or penalized was um, Jared Meese with the Johnny Lewis deal at, at Daytona. And I think he just got like a fine or he lost some points or a fine. He got to choose one or the other. Otherwise, man, I've seen some hard shit and, um, you know, nobody, you know, I mean, it's, it's cool to monitor, mon trying to monitor it a little bit, but it's, uh, we got to stay consistent. And 
I mean, now, like, if somebody runs into me in the last corner, like, pretty hard, I should just fall over. Like, not don't try to save it. Yeah. Try to fall <laughs> over, and then I'd win, you know, I'd get a win. You know, it's kind of like, you know, it's like somebody hits you, make sure you fall. You know, you'll get back to your spot, and you'll get a full restart and a reset and whatever else. So, um, yeah. so any, anyway, that was that was interesting news. And uh, Springfield Mile, Jake, I don't know, we'll touch upon it a little bit, but um, – the thing I wanted to talk about was kind of like the way the track's been lately. Um, the last three, four years, the track's been so different than when like my first 10 years of racing there, where it was locked down round the guardrail on the bottom, super fast lap times, kind of a drafting game. Um, now the track is, is so different. And I was kind of wanted to get your thoughts on it. We kind of skate up through the middle, ride the top, um, the lap times are a second and a half, two seconds slower than what, when we rode, like when we normally rode there in like the, you know, the 2005 to 2016 days. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And uh, what do you prefer? Do you like it locked down around the bottom or do you like it kind of skatey through the middle? Um, I always liked it. The, the typical Springfield when it had, you know, a, a big groove around the bottom. Um, you know, it, and back in the day, they used to water it right before the main event above the groove in the first, you know, six, seven laps. You could run a little bit above the groove. You could draft guys around the outside. But, you know, then it turned into a, a drafting war, um, you know, a little bit like more similar to Sacramento, right? It was like, you, you know, you, you got in line through the corners and then you drafted down the straightaway. But the the motorcycles now, I don't think, allow that like you know that was the the xr 750 line um you know the the xrs they didn't accelerate you had to carry momentum um where the indians the the cowies the yamahas the harley the new harleys they actually accelerate but i don't think they get as i don't think they hook up as good i don't think the tires work as good as the old tires so you kind of have to run that higher line um, to try to carry a little bit of momentum and then having a motorcycle that actually accelerate. Like if you tried pulling some of these moves that these guys do on an Indian, on an XR, like it would take you three laps to get back up to speed. So, so the racing yeah. has changed a, a lot, right? Like you couldn't do that because you would, unless it was the last lap and you, afraid that you slowed everybody else up enough that you know you could you could fan the clutch enough off the last corner to get the rpms back up to, to beat them to the line but yeah no i think it's it's just different just a combination of the motorcycles you know the the tires uh younger riders um it's just totally different and to me like i was watching the, uh, like the production twins class, like that looked like the, the more experienced, uh, class that like the guys knew what they were doing. The super twins. I was like, my wife, Jody was like, she's like, you've never been like, usually watch the race and just sit there and not really say much. Like I was jumping up off the couch. Like what the F are these morons doing? Like you guys are going to kill each other. Yeah. You know, yeah, just like, yeah. Guys up at the top, you know, up at the top, guys on the bottom, and obviously there's going to be a merge, merging point on the straightaway. And 
but there really doesn't even have to be a merging point. Like it's no. okay. You came off the bottom. Don't go to the wall. Like there's guys there, you yeah. know, or, or take a peek. Like, but to me, it just looked like, you know, I mean, there was guys out there that were just, uh, victims or, you know, or just innocent bystanders. But, um, but man, it, to me, it just looked like, what are you guys doing? It's like lap, it's lap four. You guys have, you know, 12 more minutes to go. Like, yep. Yep. what, what, what is going on? What are you doing? Well, you get one move off turn four, man. And, and, and I'm just going to call out Jared, man. I mean, the, the, I think it was like a semi, like he did it a couple times, like questionable, but the one where it was a semi, you go out to the wall, that's your move. Like your move is off the corner. Like you don't go to the wall and then make a move mid straightaway to come back down off the wall. And um, if you listen to Chris Carr's podcast, he, he talked about it as well, but you get a move off the corner. Um, he, he went to the wall and then he, he drifted off the wall to the middle of the straightaway and he damn near took out Brandon Robinson's front wheel. And that's kind of what prompted Breyer to say something on the podium and everybody's talking about Breyer whining and bitching. It's like, dude, he didn't even like do anything to Breyer. Breyer is just, he's going to speak his mind. That's how Breyer is. And, um, you know, he's, he's looking out for rider safety. It's like, dude, um, and for Jared, man, it's like, he's so experienced. His bike's fast. He he's, he's a hell of a rider. Obviously he's one of the best to ever do it. And to pull those kind of moves, it's like, dude, come on, man. Like it's, um, I, I just didn't understand it. I, I was pissed too. It's like, dude, why? It's like, I don't know. I, I don't have any, like, I, I, <laughs> I could go on about, about it for sure. But it was, it pissed me off. Like seeing guys do that. It's like, come on, man, make one move. And that's your move. Like you can come off turn four and go to the bottom. Like you can, you know, Brian Smith, he's done it a lot. He's come off turn four. He's went to the bottom, but then that, then you're there. Like you don't make a move anywhere off the corner and off the corner at Springfield is before where you enter the track, like where the, the, the big rig, the big rigs go over the track. The corner is yeah. way back before that. So you make the move and you stay there. And uh, yeah, I thought that was, that was kind of shitty. And then um, yeah, just like, obviously it was, it was kind of news that Mies got protested after the race. And um, you know, I'm just going to say on the protest thing, um, people are all oh, sore losers, this and that, but you know, it's, uh, getting protested is a compliment. I mean, that's part of the sport. Um, it keeps guys in check. It keeps them on their toes. I don't think there's anything to do with being a sore loser and getting protested. That's, you know, we used to claim motorcycles, like guys used to claim a whole motorcycle. Um, so, you know, that, that's something that's been around for a while and I don't see there any issue with, with that. Um, I thought, I thought that was, you know, obviously it's a compliment. You get protested, man, you, you've had a hell of a day. So uh, any, any, well, real quick too, I wanted to talk about, like you mentioned like the guys, the tires are, are way different. And I agree. I don't think the tires we're running now lay as good a rubber down as the DT3. Um, but I think like track prep has a lot to do with like the way the track is now at Springfield. I feel like, I don't know, when I leave Springfield now, my eyes are burning from the calcium. Like I feel we're using for track prep, we're using a shit ton of calcium and we're not like breaking through that, that uh, chemical and laying rubber down on the track that makes the track as fast as it used to be. And um, we'll actually talk, we'll ask Brian about this when we get him on the show. Cause he's done Springfield a lot too, but yeah, the way the track is just, 
it's a lot of calcium. Like on a lot of the racetracks we're using now, I think we're almost over prepping sometimes. And um, it makes it sounds sometimes like sometimes we're over prepping. Sometimes we're, we're not prepping enough. Um, but yeah, I think the calcium is a, uh, is a big, is a big reason as well. Um, do you, do you remember use like, have we used a lot of calcium? Like the, when you turn, like I don't, tracks were so different. I feel like with like material, like the, the chemicals we used. Yeah. I mean, I think in my early years, they used it a lot, but I think they used it properly. Um, like then it kind of went away for a little while because promoters didn't want to spend the money on it. Um, and then, you know, I know I was a big uh, supporter of it. You know, I, I brought it to their attention a lot. Like, Hey, we need, we need some calcium chloride. Like it's what we've used before. It's like, it works, but if you, I don't know. I mean, just, just thinking back to like Hagerstown years ago, um, you'd get there in the morning and they would, they'd be, have the track ripped up. Guy would be on the grader, blading it back and forth, uh, you know, watering it, getting the moisture in it. They'd have that thing, you know, wheel packed, wet. Then they'd go out there and, the track they would just snow the track out with calcium flake and wheel it in wheel it in wheel it in so the calcium would actually get into the dirt um where now it's like they don't use the flake that much like sacramento is always best i, I mean i don't know if you were ever there um for those years but you would get there in the morning and they the track would be white with calcium flake and uh i guess it's a lot more work to use that because it comes in you know 40 pound bags so imagine how many 40 pound bags you need to cover a mile long track so you're talking you know, like with, the pellets versus like the the liquid yeah yeah, yeah. i agree yeah i think yeah. The pellets so I, was work always, way better. I was always i was always a fan of that because you know how much you're putting on yeah you know they would get the liquid and it's you know i've had conversations with steve moorhead about it. he's like yeah we got liquid but is it 10 percent? is it 50 percent? we yeah. don't know you know, so, um, and I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of track prep now, they think they could just dump it on top of a rock hard racetrack and it's going to do anything. It's not going to do anything. It's just going to sit there on top. It's not going to get in the dirt and, uh, you know, and, and as soon as it dries out, it just turns, you know, that's why your eyes are burning. It's just sitting on top. The dirt turns to, you know, it gets dry. It turns to dust and ends up in your eyes and your nose and your mouth and, you know, and your, your, your eyes are bloodshot for a week and a half after the race. So, um, you know, and, and Springfield, I've always heard they use magnesium chloride. I, you know, I don't, I don't know the ins and outs, but, um, it's probably not good for our health. I'm sure we're all going to have some, some issues in the future. Um, (laughs) but, uh, but it definitely helps the racetracks. I think certain racetracks, um, as long as it's done properly, I think a lot of times it's just, Oh, we're just going to dump this on top and it's going to be good. But yeah, there's, yeah. you know, I'm not saying I can do a better job, you know, but I'm just saying that I've seen it work and I've seen it where it should have worked, but it didn't. Like, I think there's, uh, there's some extra steps you got to put into it. And, and Sacramento, obviously that, you know, that was what it was. Right. I mean, they were kind of concerned that the race is maybe not going to happen. There was fires going on. There's, you know, water shortages and, you know, it's been 110 degrees, you know, normally we're there in the spring, 
this time, you know, late summer. So it was, you kind of knew what you were going to get. With, uh, I mean, maybe I'm biased, but I thought Sack was good. Like as far as the grip and our lap times were like compared to previous years, like our lap times, we were four, three, four seconds a lap faster than, than we've been there. Um, like the last time we were there in 2019 and then even previous years, like I, I want to, I don't know what the, the lap times, like the track record is, but our times were pretty fucking quick. So um, everyone was bitching about the track and it being single file. It's like, well, that's, it's always like that, but at least there was good grip and with good grip, you can really like, I think like Springfield with, uh, with good grip and even Sacramento, you can really race through the corners harder and, um, create separation when it's slippery. And, um, like last year we had the R nine tires and they were, they were pretty hard. So, um, it kind of evened everything up, but, uh, anyway, we, like I said, we could talk, we could talk track prep for forever. So, uh, Let's uh Brian's on the line. So let's uh let's bring Brian on the line. Uh B Smith, appreciate you coming on the show, man. And uh yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, can you guys hear me? Yes, sir. Man, what, what'd track you say? prep. Just <laughs> the, in time the, for track the, prep pitching, dude. <laughs> yeah, the, the great track prep debate. Um yeah, I was ready to ready to jump in the middle of that conversation and start arguing, but <laughs> it's uh, coffee time and not beer time, so I don't want to get into that yet. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the show, man. It's obviously uh, we talked about me and Jake talked about a little bit of w- what you've done in your career. I, I looked up some stats: uh, eighth on the all-time win list, thirty-three wins, two short tracks. Which fuck, man, two short track wins. People say you can't ride short tracks, but <laughs> you got two national wins on short tracks, six half miles, twenty-five miles. And then a stat that I thought was interesting is seventh on the podium list with 89 podiums, uh, I guess 90 now with Sacramento. Um, I don't know if it was updated when I checked it out, but 90 podiums is uh, phenomenal. I think that's, that's an underrated stat, obviously 33 wins, but 90 podiums, um, amateur career, yeah, the- good amateur career, all that stuff, but we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more, but yeah, just a fucking really awesome career, man. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, first off, and thanks for having me on. It'll be, be a fun, uh, fun episode. I'm sure. And, uh, the podiums, I had no clue, honestly, I had that many podiums. Um, I know it's easy for a lot of people to say, I don't really know, but when I read that, uh, after Sacramento, I was, I was kind of taken back, like, damn, I didn't realize I, I had that many, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, uh, I don't know how many I have to be honest. I, it's <laughs> probably not 90. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I'm sure it's a feeling that it's like a feeling of accomplishment, but then at the same time, it's like, man, how many, how many races have I actually done? How old am I? You know, it's like I've raced, you know, I've got 90 podiums, but it seems like, you know, there was, I don't know, I guess you, you know, you focus on the bad ones for your career, but it's like, you know, I feel like I've sucked way more than I've been on the podium, you know? So it's like, if I got, you know, 90 podiums or 60 podiums or whatever, like how many, wealth do I have? You know, <laughs> like For sure. Uh, <laughs> um, for sure. It's like looking at the, you know, 89, 90 podiums, and then however many second place um, they had. And I'm like, man, like there's a good handful of those second places that were like by an inch. Like if I could have just yeah. had 
like like we've all said before, if I could just have one more inch, I would uh, <laughs> I would would have won, would have won ten more times, moved me up all the list. But just like any racer, Scott Parker wishes he had a uh, you know a couple more too. Yeah. Oh yeah, we we can, all do. We all do. You can think about that for <laughs> forever, man. Just beat your head in the wall. It's it's yeah, it's racing, dude. But no, I wanted to talk about your amateur career a little bit, and then we got a few uh, a few highlights. We want to talk about your pro career and and get some insights. I tried to come up with questions that you haven't read in interviews. Um, just getting some like deep insight on some of the some of the accomplishments and and things you've done. But your amateur career, I don't know a, a lot about it. I'm, I don't know if I'm four or five years younger than you, but I didn't get to, I wasn't really around racing much during like your amateur days. Uh, but I know you had a really successful amateur career. Uh, you won the horizon award. I think you won it. Like you co-won it with, uh, Tony Myring. Is that right? Yeah. Um, trying to, I think it was 1990. I can't remember if it was nine. I think 1999, um, was the horizon award me and Tony Myring. Um, yeah, co-shoot it, I guess, is the best way to put it. Um, you know, and typically they gave it to one guy um, the year before in 98. was supposed to be my last year amateur, I thought, and uh, I won more than anybody at the Amateur Nationals. And Roger Lee Hayden won uh, almost as much, and uh, he got it because I think, you know, he had a, already a pro ride with road racing and kind of made more sense at the time, I guess, probably to give it to him. although to 15 year old or 14 year old uh brian smith it didn't make sense and i thought i won more so i should have got it so um that led to me going back in 99 or whatever year the next year it was and uh winning winning a lot again but i also had a deal with tony Marion, who was really really fast had really 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 fast ronwood road texas and i'm i remember battling jake down there as well that same time and uh i think we we all won a lot and uh somehow whether they felt sorry for, for me not getting it the year before or, or it all worked out that uh, me and Tony ended up sharing it that year. Yeah, I remember you guys were probably uh, probably th- pretty thrilled to uh, share that honor together because <laughs> I remember that week it was, man, every time you guys were on the track together, it was like just T-bone central, just like... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least that's how I remember it. I remember it was just like one little incident happened early in the week. And, you know, I don't know the backstory. I don't know if you guys had history before that, but it started like early in the week. And it was just like one thing after another. And, you know, one thing, you know, Brian's off the track. Next, Tony's off the track. This guy's getting disqualified. This guy's screaming at this guy. And, and, uh, and I remember yeah, the- all that, like, but it seemed like you guys were still winning. Maybe you guys were just doing it in heat races or something where it didn't matter, but you know, you guys still came out with some championships and, and, you know, enough points and whatever for the horizon award. But um, I just remember looking back at that and going, and those guys were just trying to, I don't think they were worrying about race wins or championships or horizon wars or nothing. They were just worried about knocking each other on the ground. <laughs> yeah, it was, we it, the, you know, now that you say that, I don't remember, really racing Tony Marion anywhere else besides Indianapolis for the Amateur Nationals, which I don't know if it sounds, but I don't remember how it all started. Um, I remember at one point he bumped me on the TT, knocked me down, which, you know, was the first gear hairpin corner. And 
I came back, you know, it didn't help that we were racing three classes against each other. So, you know, we're three heat races, three main events every <laughs> single day for a week. So it was like, I had a bullseye on my back when he was behind me and his vice versa when, when he was in front of me. And, uh, yeah, there's uh, multiple takeouts and, you know, looking back at it now, like how, how stupid and how immature. Um, but once again, when you're young, young and dumb, you're just, you're going to send it in there. That guy bumps you, I'm bumping him harder. And that's, that was kind of the mentality, but yeah, somehow we still, we still want enough to, I, I remember halfway through that week or it's probably towards the end, um, you know, which I had a pretty good relationship with the AMA people, um, for winning some of the amateur national stuff before that. And they brought me and Tony down in the basement under the stage at Indianapolis. So listen, guys, it was like the days of thunder, uh, cold trickle and rowdy burn scene, like, you guys get anywhere near each other one more time you're disqualified the rest of the week we're giving the horizon word to somebody else that's it you're going home and we looked at each other like <laughs> all right i think we better quit this you know and we got close a couple other times had some good battles but no other uh no other clean takeout moves the rest of the week <laughs> uh yeah i don't know a lot about tony Myring. the only tony Myring stuff i know is this like the lodi legend like going the lodi running the big number one uh, just yeah i just know i'm kind of like that from the lodi stuff that i've gone to but uh it's crazy you mentioned how fast he was i i had no idea i mean he's good at lodi but uh yeah that's that was that's awesome yeah uh, he, <laughs> go ahead yeah i was just gonna say he was really fast there for a couple of years as an amateur and to back up some of my amateur career before that it wasn't always uh winning horizon awards and ama championships like or the, the amateur national championships like when I started out amateur, I was pretty good around Michigan. Then we went to the amateur nationals the first couple of times. And it was in Michigan, actually, in like 95 and 96. And I just got flat out smoked. Like I stuck for a couple of years. And then finally, I think when I went to Indianapolis, I was kind of getting legs underneath me about the time I was on a 250 and a 600 Rotex and kind of started to win one here and there. But there was a couple of years of going to amateur nationals that I was just getting my butt kicked. I mean, barely making main events. So. Um, you know, I know it's tough. A lot of kids are in that position probably now, maybe went to amateur national this year, got their butt kicked, but it's like, it'd have been real easy for, for me to give up. And, uh, luckily I kept going back and was able to win some. Yeah. 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 That's, that's funny. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. For amateur nationals for me, I, I've only went, I only went four times. I went in, in I-96 and 94, 95, I believe it was um those same years so it was my last two years on an 80 and then i did indy in 99 and 2000 like my last two years uh you know amateur and uh yeah it's funny i mean i guess we we raced against each other i guess in 94 95 on probably on 80s um yeah 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 i don't i don't even remember you know i remember racing roger lee um God, I don't even remember. I guess I was just so young. I didn't even pay attention to who anybody was. It was just like, you know, me and my dad, we would just race around Pennsylvania and we're in Michigan sleeping in the van. We don't know what the hell we're doing. And, uh, you know, just there <laughs> racing. But um, that's kind of funny, though. I mean, I, I guess I just never thought of it. It's like, shit, I mean, we raced each other. Oh, damn, how long ago was 95, 94? It was. 25 yeah, 10, years ago, 10, 11, right? yeah. <laughs> almost 30 years ago. Yeah. So yeah, man, that, that, that adds, adds to the, uh, the, yeah. The what'd you say about being, yeah. being old? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, 
been worse. <laughs> um, well, moving forward, kind of to your rookie, your like your rookie professional stuff. Um, what were your like? What was that transition like? What What was your first couple rides? Obviously, I know, I know your Maroney days the most, and we'll talk about that after. But um, you you did the eight eighty three series. <laughs> Um, sorry, I'm just thinking, uh, Hagerstown, <laughs> you, you and Jake, but, uh, <laughs> 883 years, you won a championship. Um, talk about that, that transition from, uh, um, from amateur to like the pro stuff. Uh, yeah, sure. Basically right after, um, the Indianapolis amateur nationals, which maybe it was 2000. I don't remember what was my the last year that I won the horizon award. It might've been 2000, like Jake was saying, um, and 99, 2000, the next year, I guess it would have been 2000. Um, I was expert. Um, trying to remember how the whole transition worked, but we did the pro sport expert thing. I don't want to sound like one of the old Facebook guys and junior novice expert and all that crap, but that's how it was back then is you come pro sport, you had to get your points, move up to expert, and you could only ride the 600 expert class. And then until you got your points, you could run gnc on the twin or whatever so it took about a year to make that transition so maybe through 2000 was probably when i was expert and there was that from the usa series so i was getting a lot of racing but it was all on rotex is pretty much um i did good had some wins i remember battling uh willie mccoy nikki hayden at uh springfield mile in the 600 support class they had back in 2000 and uh somehow i guess it was from willie mccoy traveling around he was riding for sns harley me and him hit it off he was staying in michigan for a couple weeks at parker's house and uh joe bish's house and you know he was was helping me with my rotex and stuff and uh he goes well you going to sturgis this would have been in 2000 all i had is a rotex and they were having a formula usa race i goes, no we you know we don't have the money to get out there Uh, my dad's got to work and stuff and they ain't sending me out there by myself 16 year old in a van to sturgis and uh so Willie goes, well, just throw your bike in my box van. We can go out there. And so that's how it started out. It was a uh, talk about being thrown in the deep end. It's like, uh, you know, there was Johnny Murphy and Johnny Murphy learned from Willie McCoy. So um, a lot of listeners will know know what I mean by that. And some of them won't. And that's probably a good thing. Um, but it was uh, lots of fun on the road for the first time to Sturgis. And um, got out there. I think I ran pretty good. Willie did really good. And, come back hit Jordan on the way back and somehow or another that led to um me and Willie becoming pretty good friends and him introduced me to Gary Stolzenberg at FNS Harley and he goes hey you want to come down here next next summer for 2001 your rookie year I'll give you an XR see, see, see what you can do on a twin that's kind of what led to the GNC twins career but um with the Rocky Road shortly after that yeah that's uh that's funny that your your parents didn't feel comfortable sending you uh, by yourself in a van to Sturgis, but felt completely comfortable sending you with, uh, with Willie McCoy in a box truck. <laughs> if they if they only knew, you know, now what they knew then, I think that would have went a little different. But um, but no, yeah, I remember those days. I mean, I was doing the Maroney's thing, but man, I remember uh, seeing you guys show up at the track out of the, uh, you know Stolzy's. Uh, you have like a Peterbilt or Freightliner thing, you know, uh, and I remember, I don't know, I just remember races where I've seen, I saw like 
way too many motorcycles coming out of that back of that thing and way too many oh. riders pitting out like you guys had like you guys had a had a deal going over there but uh but yeah it's yeah uh, it was um the this you know willie introduced me to stolzenberg and you know you go down to a shop in dayton ohio and uh you know there's about 45 up there 750s a couple tl 1000s rotexes Suzuki's everything you can think of just laying around and yeah, we'll build, we'll rebuild this thing. You know, this is October of 2000. We'll get a couple of these built. We'll build you a new this, new that. Cool. I got a factory ride. Well, about March, I'm going <laughs> down there and all that stuff still looks the same. And all of a sudden he goes, well, if you want to take one of these to Daytona, you better get down here and start working on it. I'm like, well, all right. I thought uh, I was just going to like pick it up and go to the races. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, it was shortly after that. I was basically, I was still in high school, going down there on the weekends, learning how to work on an XR750 with Gary Stolzenberg, and uh, a little rough around the edges, but learned how to put one together, and uh, took one to Daytona. I think I ran pretty good at a couple of the Volusia races, and uh, got enough points to run GNC. And here I am graduating uh, early high school to go live with Willie McCoy in Dayton, Ohio, of all places, uh, at Stolzenberg's big Ponderosa mansion he had across from the dealership and uh in the meantime Stolzenberg breaks his foot so he can't work on my bike so here i am stuck with willie mccoy all good and bad about flat track and you know grease up to my elbows learning how to build xr750 so it was tough um you know and then just like my amateur career the first first 75 percent of that rookie year I'm learning how to latch valves on an XR750 and take one apart. And meanwhile, driving to the races, meeting my dad there so he could help me work on it at the train. We're sucking. We're running, you know, 10th in a semi. I'm going, man, this is a a lot more fun last year just running the Rotex and doing that kind of gig. I thought I had that kind of figured out. Then you get up on the XR750 and everybody's fast in the GNC class. The bike was okay. It wasn't that great. I was building it, so it couldn't have been amazing. Just learned how last <laughs> week, and now here I am racing Kenny Colbert's XR. <laughs> so it was a rude awakening for sure, but I would, looking back now, it's like taught me so much, not just about building the XR 750, but about everything and like the perseverance of uh, what a racer's got to go through, at least what I had to go through, and I wouldn't change it for a world to, what I learned from Willie McCoy, both, you know, good and bad. Everybody jokes about the good and bad of Willie McCoy, uh, the trouble he used to get into. But um, he taught me a lot about life, racing, XR750s, and uh, I wouldn't change it for the world, man. It was an awesome time when I look back, you know, 20 years ago now. It's pretty cool. Great memories. You're, um... Yeah, yeah. I kind of I kind of feel, uh, I don't know what the word is, I've got... I feel like we let the use of uh of flat track down a little bit. Like we you know, we were we were we were taught by some of the you know, some of the we call them the legends, you know, Paul Lynch, Johnny Murphy, uh William McCoy, all those guys and I guess maybe we tried, but I don't think uh I don't think any of that stuff uh passed on to the younger generation. I think uh I mean I guess the world's just getting softer and softer, right? So we did our best. We tried, but uh, unfortunately, yeah. There's, uh, there's, there's a whole like um, I, I'll, I'll, I got an excuse for us, Jake. There's like a whole era just ahead of us that would have helped bridge the gap to us and to the future youth 
like Johnny, he kind of re- retired young. Sean also quit probably a few years before before he was of age um, to be a retiree, and Paul Lynch kind of got out of it. It's like if they had just hung on for a few more years, the, the hotel after parties would have been a little bit bigger and, and attracted enough <laughs> of the young guys to keep it going. But um, just like just like any race I'm at, uh, the Sacramento, the last one, it had a had one heck of a uh, after party at the the hotel that got got everybody in a little bit of trouble. So it was it was fun, just like the good old days. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, you talked about your 750 stuff, and I kind of wanted to talk more about the 883 years because those are always interesting, and those bikes were obviously not not that awesome. So um, you won a championship on the 883, and uh, I do, I do want to mention the uh, the Hagerstown, like the the most famous flat track clip probably of all time. You and Jake, uh, <laughs> I, I want to hear your guys' insight uh, on that whole, on that whole deal, but how bad were the 883s, man? And, and how much better were the Maroney, the Maroney 883s than, than like the other bikes? Well, yeah, that, you know, once again, being, being young and dumb, uh, um, I'm learning about the national flat track and well, there's this 883 class. A lot of these guys are riding, um, you know, and a guy offers me a bike to ride, uh, Jim Wagner from Whitman, Harley Davis and down in St. Louis. Um, he had a, he had about 20 of the things. I had a couple of good guys doing pretty good on them. And said, man, you want to, you want to ride one? I don't even remember how exactly we met and, uh, sure. That's what everybody's doing. You know, now I want to sit on one of those things and I'll let alone try to race. <laughs> um, and it was just what you thought you had to do. Um, and now looking back, we were, we were the original hooligans, me and Jake. So, uh, somehow wrestled that thing around. I was pretty good on the mile on it, just like I was on everything, I guess. And fortunately that first year, there was a quite a few mile races and won, won a few of them. Um, yeah. And won that championship. Jim got, uh, tuned up a second bike so i had two to defend the number one plate i think we won maybe the first springfield um i don't remember i remember racing danny eslick and he beat me at one of them on daffy's bike 883 but yeah basically leading up to the most infamous crash clip of flat track is me running about fifth at uh hagerstown and jake and jared hitting each other's lunch money on maroney's 883s and Jake gets a little stepped out and crashes. And I, I don't remember that crash, not just cause I'm old, but cause it knocked me out clearly. Um, but yeah, I remember the, the only thing I remember afterwards is coming out of that corner there was no red light on, no red flag. And I was kind of on the outside of somebody. And I remember going, Oh fuck. Like that's Jake or the bike, you know, I don't think I'm going to hit Jake. So let me try to miss it all. And, uh, obviously didn't miss, miss it all and uh hit the bike and i got catapulted to from about turn four to the finish line at hagerstown and man thank god uh everything worked out broke my arm that was it believe it or not and it only took about four or five weeks to heal and i was back racing but it i look i you know will somehow get that sent to me still to this day and i don't even watch it i'm like man that could have went bad in so many different ways from landing the wrong way to somebody else running me over just uh it's frightening but uh thankfully i survived it yeah that was uh yeah i remember one i guess i can't say i remember it i guess i've watched it enough that you know over the years that 
it seems like I remember it, but, um, yeah, I remember me and Jared just going at it. And, uh, I don't know. I just remember, I remember having this bright idea that I needed to add a tooth. Needed the thing to rev a little more before the main or whatever. Cause I, I think I won my heat race. Jared won his, and, you know, we went out, I put another tooth on and that thing was revved up. And, uh, <laughs> remember me, me and Jared going back and forth and, uh, you know, I just remember, you know, I guess coming off a of four and, you know, that thing got a little sideways, you know, I had enough gear on it to get it to spin up, but those things didn't have enough power to carry a slide, you know, and they weighed what, I don't even know, 400 pounds or something. So that thing caught, you know, um, I guess it was kind of a high side. I don't know what it was, but it swapped me out. I went down and, uh, I remember I was never knocked out, but I remember hitting the ground so hard that it just knocked everything out of me. Like I couldn't move, you know, it was just like, <laughs> it just knocked it all out of me. And I, I just remember laying there and hearing some bikes go by and then it got quiet. And, uh, I remember kind of getting up and everybody's kind of coming around, helping me up. And I remember the first thing I said, cause me and Rich Hansen, you know, you work with Rich, Corey, you work with Rich. And, uh, I remember getting up and I think he was like one of the first guy, first people I saw. And I was like, yeah, we should have never put that tooth on, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and I had I had no idea that you even crashed. Like I thought it was just me. I had no idea. Cause you were so far down the track. Like when I got up, I started walking down towards, you know, the pit gate, which was, you know, basically straight down the track from where I was laying. And you were, you were about to turn one by that point. And, uh, yeah. you know, I think I, end, I ended up getting out of it. Okay. I think I broke my thumb and, pinky. and I remember getting back to the pits and I think I was on the front row for the, for the national that night. And I'm like trying to figure out how I'm going to race and I can't pull the clutch in and I'm trying to ride the mini bike around the pits and my hands hurt so bad, you know, I ended up not being able to ride, but you know, I remember sitting in the chair in the pits had ice on my, you know, I had my hand and both hands in a cooler and, you know, somebody, people were coming over. Hey, you all right? You all right? And somebody asked me, hey, is, is Brian okay? I'm like, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm the one that crashed. <laughs> like, well, no, yeah, Brian, you know, and then somebody told me, Brian, hit your bike. And I'm like, I had no idea, you know, until, I don't know, back then, obviously, it wasn't like today. Um, you know, today a crash happens. You could see it five minutes later on Facebook or, you know, or, you know, on the live stream or whatever. I remember it taking a little while for the video to come out. I think we ended up buying it, a VHS tape from the guy, the videographer from Hagerstown and, uh, you know, ended up seeing it later. And I was like, Oh my God, you know, like, that was a big one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, uh, shit. I'm okay. Like, I mean, I went down hard, but after seeing you, it was like, man, I'm a bitch. Why didn't you I, did. why didn't I race the, why didn't I race the 750? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you took your, Jake, you took your helmet off and the, the clip, like the highlights, like it looked like you were looking for your bike. Uh, that like, I've watched that clip so many times and Brian, like those 883s are fragile when you like low side it, like they pretty much break everything off. As soon as you hit his bike, the thing just fucking, just, it was just split in three different pieces. There's parts laying all over the bike, or all over the track. And I don't know who it was, but somebody freaking, they they um, split the the bike. Like the bike broke in half and somebody rode between. Yeah, both of them. 
Who was that? Yeah, Somebody rode like between all the carnage and saved it. Both it was uh, Jap- Japanese uh, Yuhiko, our friend Yuhiko. Yuhiko. Yeah, oh, he right. went through it left, right, kind of solemn course through the front end and the whole rest of the 883 engine rear wheel flipping. And then me on the ground kind of tumbling. Somehow he like high speed slalom through it all. It was nuts. <laughs> yeah, I have I have the tin section from my bike from that crash. And in the the left uh side plate that was built into the seat, there I don't think it's still in there, but the the hole is still there. I remember, you know, because I told Pat like the gas tank, you know, the whole bike was totaled obviously, both of them. But, you know, I kind of wanted something from that bike. And Pat gave me the tail section. Well, in the side plate, there was a, uh, a steering head bearing embedded, like, in the side plate <laughs> of the tail section. I have to, the, yeah, I don't, I don't think the steering head bearing is there because Pat probably needed it to put another bike back together. But there's a perfect, like, rectangle hole where the steering head bearing embedded itself into the side of that plate. I'll have to, I'll have to find that and take a photo. That's of funny. It's, uh, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty sure, impressive. Uh, I'm pretty sure my dad has the tail section from, from my same bike from that night, too. I'll have to, we'll have to compare 883 crash uh, <laughs> section, like, like an airplane crash. Um, there's, two, there's two things about that cross, too. Um, like, I don't remember any of it. Um, but I got airlifted out of there from, you know, like in a helicopter to the hospital, broken arm. You know, I was knocked out for a while. So my dad ran a helicopter to the hospital, broken arm. Obviously, the flat track community loaded up the van, got him to the hospital. But I, I remember, okay, your arm's broke. Yeah, we're not going to do surgery here. And at that point, I'm like, kind of know what's going on. We'll go back home to Michigan. We'll drive back in the morning. So I remember I got a broken arm. Hurts pretty good. Um, wrapped up in a temporary cast and it's kind of funny because I remember still like all right we should probably hurry and get home I think we crossed the Michigan border my dad pulls in check out the world's largest beef jerky outlet so (laughs) gas station with uh, my dad and I think we were following Trice uh, Welch and Stevie Welch back to Michigan and we were going I don't know if uh all right, I think we've seen enough beef jerky and, you know, uh, souvenirs. We should probably get back to the hospital in Michigan. <laughs> so kind of a funny one <laughs> from that. Oh, man, that's funny. Yeah, the uh, – so going from – man, there's – oh, try and try – and, trying to just pinpoint. There's so much – a lot of shit, man. Uh, so the 83 days, obviously, we talked about that. Um, uh, FNS Harley, and then you ride for Pat Maroney. And Pat's a, f- a favorite of ours, of, of mine, man. We had him on the show. He was awesome. Um, what you both rode for Maroney. You mentioned Jake Rich Hansen and um, just a good group of guys at Maroney's, iconic. Um, talk about how that kind of ride transpired and, and what it was like riding for, for Pat Maroney. Yeah. Um, before Pat Maroney, just to back up one second, I know this is probably going to be a 12-part uh, podcast by the time it's done, but um, after the Stolzenberg deal, I turned to a friend of mine that owned a bike shop, had an XR750 that he loaned me, kind of sold me cheap, and uh, basically was kind of doing it on my own with my dad. Me and my dad and Tom Cummings helped him build the engines, um, and that led to a couple good finishes, nothing amazing, but then... I got on the last year I did it on my own with my dad, so to speak. We won the hot shoe at Daytona Short Track and then got third at the national on 
450 framer when everybody else was on road tests at the time and Jake was riding for Maroney's at the time. And then Jake left to go to the Suzuki team and Maroney's was looking for a rider. And I remember Luke calling me up and Chanson and saying, uh, you know, do you, do you want to ride for us next year? Maybe I can, I can probably get Pat to, to do it. And I remember Pat calling like, how come you only did good at Daytona? And then you get on the podium the rest of the year. You know, I, I want to put some <laughs> of my 750 guys on the podium. And you did it that one time. So you can do it again. I'm like, you put me on the bike. I'll get on the podium for you. I think it took to the last, uh, one of the last miles that year to get on the podium. Um, but man, Pat, he, uh, you're not going to have more fun. Um, I mean, you're going to have more fun with him than anybody riding for anybody. But if you suck and you're not doing something right, he's the first one to let you know. <laughs> he, he ain't holding nothing back, good or bad. <laughs> yeah, Pat was uh, that was a lot of fun. I think I think I rode for him too young because I was only you know 17, 18 years old. So I was. I had, obviously I had a lot of fun with Pat and Rich and, you know, at that time I would, you know, there were Maroney's was like two and a half hours from me. So I would, I would every weekend, I'd drive two and a half hours up to Maroney's on, you know, Thursday or something, help, help get the bikes ready, jump in the truck Friday, go to the races, you know, Pat would either ride with us or we'd pick him up at the airport there and drive back, back home, you know, so it was a lot of fun, but always hanging out with Pat. I was always, I was always his designated driver, you know, cause I was you know, te- <laughs> technically too young to drink or whatever. So, but you know, I had so much fun hanging out in his, his buddy's garages or whatever, you know, by the, by his lake house and, you know, got to drive his, uh, you know, his BMW M3, you know? And so it was, uh, you know, I was 17 years old, you know, kind of living the life, I guess I was, I was being the responsible one, but, uh, but now it was, it was a lot of, a lot of good times with Pat, but like you said, he wasn't, uh, he would praise you when he did good. Um, you know, he, he helped me a lot. We had a cool little like incentive program. I guess it was before the years of like contingency and, you know, you know, at this point I would rather take, taking the money, I guess. But, you know, if I got on the podium, he'd buy me a set of golf clubs or, you know, or this or that. So it was, uh, being a young kid, it was, it was fun. He took care of me and, um, we did pretty well. And, but like you said, if you weren't doing what you were supposed to do, had a bad night, he was, he wasn't afraid to tell you. And, uh, yeah, I I remember that taught uh, me a lot, you know, throughout my career. So it was, yeah, a couple of times, you know, which maybe some of it was the bike set up now looking back, but I remember, I don't even remember some half mile in the middle of Iowa. I'm like, man, Rich, Rich is like, we should try this, you do this, and try that. You know, and I'm like, man, it's still working, it's still working. You know, I don't, I don't like it, I don't like it. And you know, won the semi to get to the main. I'm like, yeah, it's a little better, but it's still ain't off. And Pat just goes, you're up today. You just got to do something. You suck. You got to get on the gas. And I remember going, okay, well, like, don't we'll worry about the setup then, Rich. I'll just figure out how not to suck, you know. So, and then the next weekend, you know, go to a, a mile track and we're one of the fastest guys there. And he was high five me and, you know, tell me, good job. Keep doing what I'm doing. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I don't suck, Pat. Cool. All right. We're cool. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, uh, the, the colors of the Maroney bikes and just, um, the, like the pink and the light blue, it's such an iconic, like, I don't know, paint scheme and the riders that have all raced for Maroney's it's, it's like, um, it's, it's really cool to look back on. And 
all you guys just um, like he always hired guys who like, had really big personalities off the racetrack as well. It seemed like um, like good riders, but just like real flashy guys, a lot of style on the bike. So any pictures you see with Maroney's bikes and the leathers and everybody's, you know, stepped out sideways or, you know, it's, it's a, uh, I don't know. It's, it's really cool to look back on. I, I love, you know, seeing those Maroney's pictures. Oh. Yeah, definitely. Pat. I think he wanted to do good. Obviously that's why he had a race team, but he wanted to have fun and not just have it a business where he hires the best guy that's out there, you know, training like, Ricky Carmichael in his prime and just even if they were winning I don't think Pat would have had as much fun as having fun with a good guy running second you know like he was he was just equally as as interested in the camaraderie and having a beer afterwards and everybody listened to his motocross stories about you know all his crazy days of being a pro motocrosser which I still love to this day every time we get get together and uh hang out I'm like I introduced him to Ricky Howerton a few years back. I said, tell Ricky about that time, you know, you were 17 and that guy gave you those uh, pills and you made the Supercross main event. He goes, oh, the Hanna pills. Yeah, you take these pills and you'd ride like Bob Hanna. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was back in the 70s, so there's all kinds of prescription uh, drugs you bought on the corner, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he hasn't changed much. He's still like the same Pat that I've known for golly at 20 years so um i wanted to kind of move forward a little bit talk about um you know you had a you did really well on the harley like you won a lot of races championship contender always kind of ran top five top three in points um and then you this this kawasaki thing came along um bill warner you rode for you rode for bill warner on the kawasaki and you were probably the main guy on that motorcycle where people saw the like the success of that that platform, and now and then shortly after that, there were forty Kawasaki's in the pits, man. Um, you know, because you were able to take take that bike and, and start winning on it. Uh, talk about talk about kind of like what made you make that leap to a Kawasaki because that was you know the Harleys were way proven back then. Um, you know, you rode for Warner, jumped on the Kawasaki, and and started that kind of part of your career. Yeah. Um, you know, I know, I knew Bill Warner since I was a kid, you know, running around the races, uh, obviously with Scott Parker, you know, growing up kind of underneath his wing, going literally traveling to some of the races with him and Bill running me out of the pit area. Cause he didn't want me, you know, anywhere near the bike. So I'd have been next to the van, even though I rode in the van to get there, but, um, <laughs> uh, you know, knew him my whole life. And then he retired, he actually helped me a little bit while he was still at the factory. But after he retired and I was riding for Maroney's, Maroney kind of had a relationship with them. And I started getting more help and learning more about the XR750s. And then Bill goes, well, if you take Maroney's bikes back to the XR750s back to Michigan, I'll help you with the engines. So he helped me build a couple of really good fast engines. Uh, you know, obviously Maroney had a pretty solid bike. We just made it better. Dino George up there, he killed it with the xr 750s but just like any xr jesus uh warner had the special touches so he helped me we were doing that wrecking crew thing all of a sudden it was the great depression of 08 or 09 or whatever year it was and harley pulled their support maroney's dealership wasn't doing that good so that was essentially like 
you can go racing on my XR 750s, but I can't pay for nothing. And at the same time, I got Bill Warner going, well, I'm going to build this Kawasaki flat track bike that I've been messing with. I can probably pay you a little bit of money to ride the thing. And it was kind of showing little bit glimpses of maybe being good. It made the horsepower, but it didn't handle that good. It didn't look like. And, uh, but I was going to end up making a little bit of money guaranteed. So Bill kind of helped me a lot with the XR750. So I said, well, I kind of want to ride this Kawasaki at least for a year. Guaranteed to kind of make probably what I was going to make on a riding XR750, which was peanuts back then still is um but i did it and thing i think the first time i rode it was like prescott mile maybe we got like fifth or sixth or something we're going dang uh man this is how it started it probably go pretty good then we quickly went to a half mile and really struggled struggled on a bunch of the half miles for for quite a while and i think maybe about the time town came around or something we got it going okay on there on on uh, the half mile maybe six I think it was uh indie mile august time won the thing and obviously warner bragged you know his claim to fame was he only had six thousand dollars into the bike and you know you couldn't buy xr 750 crank for six thousand dollars so and by six thousand dollars five thousand of that was probably spent on zip ties and duct tape holding that thing together so <laughs> it was it was uh you know no it, it wasn't winning no so but it was fast it handled just good enough to beat his car on his xr 750 that was restricted at the time and with him i think bragging about the price so deep and uh he winning on it finally all of a sudden here come mike scott building one Shortly after Johnny Lewis is running up front on one, and then that led to building a couple other guys building them. And to kind of see that transition was pretty cool um, because it brought a bunch of, I don't know how you want to put it, like new teams, not just not just a guy with a bike, but, you know, like a Weirbach forming his own little team and Mike Scott forming his own little team and putting different guys on the bikes through the years. So to see that kind of re-spark re the interest in flat track team owners, um, you know, I don't know, kind of think, remember Lewis running, I don't know how many times, Jake, you might remember more than I do, on Johnny Lewis when he, didn't he get on the podium on Mike Scott's bike pretty early at Hagerstown or something? Um, but it wasn't shortly after. I did good on one. Other people were doing good is basically what I wanted to get at there. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I'm trying to think. Cause what was it? Probably '09 is when you was that when you won Indy? Uh, 10, uh, 10, 10, 2010. Okay. Yep, yep. So yeah, so I think it was like 11 or 12, and uh, when John got on the podium at uh, Hagerstown, so I remember it was like myself, Coolbeth, Mees, Johnny was in there. And I remember a few of us were pretty upset with Johnny. Um, you know, obviously <laughs> at the time it was pretty awkward at the dinner table, but obviously, you know, everything was good, but, um, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was, that was a crazy kind of transition of the, of the sport because you went from, you know, an XR 750 that was, 
basically a momentum bike, right? No matter if it's a half mile mile, it really take you four laps to get up to speed, right? And and don't you dare make a mistake because it's going to take you, you know, another two or three laps to get that, <laughs> get those flywheels around and get that thing back up. And uh, then all of a sudden you got these Kawasaki's that, you know, now they're starting to handle a little better. You know, they're fast and they accelerate. So the the you could run a totally different line if if the track allowed it, right? Like you know, Hagerstown, he could run it on the bottom, you know, skate up in front and, and you know, and then out accelerate you off the corner. Um, so it definitely changed, like I think the way people raced a little bit, and it kind of changed the definitely changed the whole dynamic of the sport. I think, um, you know, and obviously, you know, I had to race you a lot. Um, I mean, I couldn't beat you even when you're on the so I guess I can't use this as an excuse on a mile, but you know, it was, man, it was tough. Like I, I sent you that one photo, um, of me flipping you off after uh, Sacramento and it was all, it was all in good fun or whatever, but it was like, man, I can't <laughs> this guy, I can't trust him, you know, like, um, but like I said, I couldn't even do it when you're on a Harley, so I, I can't uh, I can't use that as an excuse. But but no, I mean, uh, you you beat you beat me plenty when we were straight up on Harleys, uh, for sure. Uh, Springfield, I think the year before you won, and I got third on the XR. But when uh, that rain delayed in. Um, but kind of back to me riding and winning on one of Kawasaki, um, forever thankful for that because in the you know in the springfield or not springfield indy mile that weekend i went in um you know everything's first time i don't even know in how long an xr 750 had been beat by another brand on a on an oval track so lo and behold who's in the grandstands ricky howerton who's a longtime flat track fan and used to be friends or you know still was keeping in touch with bubba schober and skip eakin and kind of the the Honda team that he's seen win races in the 80s that was just down from his dad's race car shop, you know, all through their whole career of a factory Honda team. So he, of course, goes to Indy Mile to watch it and sees another brand win. It's a big deal. Um, there's a lot of people there. There's a lot of excitement. He goes, man, I'm going to go down in the grand, you know, in the pits after the race and see this Kawasaki that just finally beat the Harley, kind of like the Honda, you know, the Honda's beat the Harley back in the day. So he goes down there and he's, I mean, obviously I didn't see him or know him back then. Um, but he went down there, took pictures of the bike. Man, I'm going to get one of these engines and see, see about building a flat track like myself. I'd like to have a cool street tracker. So if it wasn't for me riding Warner's Kawasaki, doing pretty good on it, Ricky would have never wandered down there. He would have never built a Kawasaki flat track bike. And probably me and him would have never met. So to think about all that history we had together, including my one and only Grand National Championship, wouldn't have happened without that one win at Indy Mile. It's pretty pretty crazy to think about. Yeah, yeah, that whole story is crazy. Actually, the whole Ricky Howerton story. I mean, it's been it's been talked about, but you have some random guy coming up to you, you don't know, and they, they tell you they've built a street tracker. You're like, okay, like we've all heard it. it's like, yeah, okay, dude, whatever. I'm sure it's sure it's a beaut like and then you go you, you go over to uh to his shop and you look at the thing and uh i think the photo i've seen it's like it had like a number three on it like a ricky graham number three 
and you go over and you see you see the bike and you're like holy shit like this is really cool um definitely not what you were expecting and then obviously you went on to uh have a lot of success with ricky and and the, your whole team um but what was like you're used to and i don't want to make this a bash bash bill warner show like i definitely am not a bill warner fan but um i got a lot of respect for the things he's done as a mechanic and a tuner but you go from riding warner's bike as you said not cosmetically um pretty or by any means and then you go to see ricky howerton's bike and um what were your thoughts like initially yeah i mean uh like you said i'll you know, with Bill Werner, he's super accomplished, super smart. Um, you know, and he helped me a ton. If it wasn't for him and that Kawasaki, Ricky Howerton would have never got into flat track or built a flat tracker probably. So um forever thankful for that. But with with uh with that, uh me and Bill, you know, traveled together a lot. I had to work with him a lot and uh you know, he re- rewarded me uh, <laughs> with winning them races on the Kawasaki but give me a pay cut for the next year and hire NJR Schnabel to be my teammate. So didn't really thought, think that was too cool. So it was simple. We had to part ways um, or, or I was going to have no fun racing and not do good. So, um, you know, part of ways with him did my own XR thing in the middle and was really burned out. Jake, you know, had the Zanotti team. Um, Jared had the Craig Rogers team. And here I am in my own sprinter van building my own XR 750s and me and my dad driving it to the races. And, um, you know, I had a lot of good help in a couple of years, but it was just, it was tough. I couldn't train at all. I, you know, you're working on the XR 750 more, more than you're not, you know, and if you weren't, it was going to break. And if you did, it was going to break. So it was pretty frustrating as a rider, racer, team owner, you know, we, I, I was fortunate enough to win Sacramento, but I was burned out. Here I am in the winter of, uh, 2012, January or February. And, uh, there's an indoor ice race in Michigan that used to happen every year. And Dan England was making this comeback. So after the ice race, here's Dan England at Scott Parker's bar in Fort Michigan. So I go over and talk to Danny England. Hey man, awesome rider. When, when I was a kid, I always looked up to you and nice to finally meet you, you know, congrats on making a come up, come back. And, uh, here's his buddy that's with him. Hey, Brian, how was the, uh, Warner's Kawasaki, you know, when you wrote it and kind of started talking, joking back and forth you know, about whatever. And, uh, he goes, well, my name is Jeff Gordon. Um, I'm friends with Ricky Howerton down in Indianapolis. Um, he built the Kawasaki street tracker. You should, you should stop down, check it out when you go down to the trade show in Indianapolis, you know, and this is back in like January and the trade show wasn't until February. And just like you said, how many times have you heard the, yeah, I got a street tracker, you know, it's a sportster with some flat track handlebars on it and a number plate. And, you know, guys are bragging about it. So I'd seen that, story a million times and like yeah, yeah, yeah street tracker but jeff worked at a sprint car and indy car engine shop and me knowing a little bit about engines when i went down to indianapolis i said hey jeff why don't you show me your you know the engine shop you work at of course seen all the cool fancy indy car and sprint car engines and how they do it and he goes well do you want to check out my buddy's street tracker next door and i kind of looked at my watch you know i was going to meet up with some friends of mine go out for dinner that night and i'm like well yeah, let's check it out. It's right next door. Okay, let's walk over there. Well, that was Ricky Howerton and his street tracker that you've seen with the number one, or number three plate on it. And yeah, I, I was expecting to walk in and see a Sportster, you know, with some Sportster-style Kawasaki with some flat track handlebars on it. And then I see 
this custom creation of HRC meets MotoGP flat track and uh, me build, being a, you know, high school fabricator builder to that, you know, being so exotic, a Indy car with two wheels, it was just staggering. Um, you know, so I'm walking around it. Well, who built this? Well, I did. Who designed that? I did. You know, and Ricky's, I'm like, well, how'd you do that? And so he shows me, then he shows me the CAD model of the bike. And I'm like, wait a minute, where'd you get a CAD model? Well, I made it. So it really took me back to go, okay, this guy not only drew it on the computer, but he pulled this tubing out of the rack and made this whole bike into what it is. And it's far beyond anything we have in flat track. So mind blowing. And keep in mind that I won at Warner's Kawasaki. So I'm looking at this beautiful bike going man who built the engine skip beacon did really well you gonna race it and ricky goes no i don't race i goes no i mean like you should let me race it <laughs> and uh <laughs> it was it was pretty funny because he's he just saw a racer that one indy was coming up at his bike and so we go to dinner me him and jeff and jeff's like well i could help if you guys wanted to go racing ricky's like i don't really have the money to fund a team let me make a call to a friend of mine that owns uh, this company called Crosley Radio. He's a race fan. Maybe he'd support us. So, I mean, this is about February, January or February, whenever that trade show is, to a couple weeks later, we had a we had a mile-only team on the Kawasaki, and I'm racing the most badass flat track bike ever. It's uh, almost something you see out of a movie, like, guy meets a guy, and let's go check this out, and bam, you know, a few months later, we won the Springfield Mile. Yeah, that's that's a cool story. I um, I myself didn't even really know how that all came about. Um, yeah, that's uh, I, that's wild. I, I swear that story. I still don't think Jared Mees believes that story. <laughs> for multiple years, he's like, you know, of course I'm running pretty good and running with you guys and beating you guys occasionally on the the Kawasaki. And he's like, well, who was going to ride it if, if you weren't going to ride it? Would they have got like wilds or somebody else like two years later he's still asking like dude there was there was no team this is all by coincidence and it all started <laughs> at the bars so don't say good things can't happen at bars Jared. <laughs> right, yeah yeah there was no team we had we had some uh we had some steaks at outback and a couple beers and before i know yeah. we had a program <laughs> exactly you know? i mean it sounds like pretty far-fetched but it's the truth yeah, that's uh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Well, you talk about Jared, man, and let's let's bring that up. Obviously, uh, you and Jake, Jared's been one of your guys' biggest rivals throughout the years, and you know, there's no secret you and Jared had some bad blood during. Um, you guys were really good friends. Like, obviously, well, I don't know, really good friends, but you guys were friends, right? So he moves to Michigan. You guys do a lot of training together. You hang out. You're riding, um, and then you guys are you're battling for championships. Um, you know, it was like 2015, 2016, I think is when like the points started to get tight for you and Jared and the whole deal with um, like the tire, the tire issues. And then your sight glass breaking, there's, you know, a lot of fans, we won't get into every detail of the story, but a lot of things happened and, and you and me kind of had some bad blood there. Um, we'll fast forward to today you guys are obviously cool he just let you ride his bike at sack mile but those rival days with jared what was it 
um, maybe for both you guys, like that got under your skin when it came to Jared and, um, and what can you say about those years competing against him and eventually winning, um, your championship? Cause I think that race obviously at Santa Rosa, it's overshadowed by, you know, some, some tragedy, but it's one of the most underrated championship battles of all time. Like it was last lap, last corner battle for, for a championship. So, um, yeah, loaded question there, but talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, you summed it up quick, Jared, you know, moves to Michigan. He starts dating Nicole, which I've known Nicole since she was, you know, really young. Her dad rode motocross and ice with us. So we'd always go to their house and ride a, ride a motocross track. Well, then Jared invited into my party in Michigan and, uh, with all my friends. Um, and okay, cool. You know, he's a guy racist and, and next thing you know, he's back again, he's back again. Okay, he's at the New Year's party here. Okay, he's he's in Michigan now. Cool. You know, no big deal. Hey, let's go to the race. Let's go to this race. And me and him become real real good friends and uh, travel into the races together. And he was always, uh, you know, he rode for Johnny Goes in the first couple of years. And I was kind of building my own XR 750s. And he was better than me. Um, you know, he had a ride and he was doing really good. And he's also my neighbor. So I was kind of a little bit jealous, like, man, couldn't you live anywhere else? You had to move here and you had to be better than me <laughs> and have a ride. Um, and you know, but whatever, we were being friends. And then I started riding the Kawasaki and started winning. And that's kind of when stuff started to get a little bit rough because the XR was restricted at the time and the Kawasaki wasn't, you know, and then of course everybody wants the Harley unrestricted, um, you know, and it kind of, at the time, the Flat Track Live page was up and running because there was no fans' choice or uh, NBC Gold to watch it. So that was the coverage. And Flat Track Live would stir the pot kind of to make me out as the bad guy because I'm on an unrestricted bike. And Jared would kind of egg that on. And, you know, I don't blame him for, for doing that because I if your hands are tied. But I'm like, Jared, you could have rode a Kawasaki too, you know, like just like I did. Um, so don't be mad at me. But it kind of turned into a little bit of that page paint me as a bad guy. And then, you know, me and him, I'm starting to win a little bit. He's winning more. And, you know, I go to the gym. He just left the gym. I go to the bike shop. He just left the bike shop, you know? So it was just like a lot of Jared Meads in my life that I was having to compete against. And we just wore in on me for a while. Where I was like, man, I got to take a break from Jared Meads. And about that time we're going for the championship. Felt like he even got lucky on a couple of them. Um, maybe a couple wins and, you know, got them and I didn't. And, um, so it's just human nature, I think, to be a little bit bombed out when your, your buddy gets to check in the number one plate and you don't. So, um, of course I congratulated him and all that, but we probably weren't going to dinner that night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Uh, how all that, how that worked out. Like, I mean, you know, years before that, like when me and Jared were battling for, for championships, like, I don't know, it was weird. I guess maybe, maybe I didn't have to live in the same town with him. I didn't see him every day or, you know, it probably made it a little easier, but it was kind of wild. Like we're battling for a title and we're jumping in Craig Rogers' truck and driving across the country, you know, to Sacramento. And I mean, obviously I wanted to kill the guy, you know, before, before, uh, the trip was over, you know, we kind of got, we would get on each other's nerves a little bit. And we ended up leaving him at a, 
at a rest area or something. He had to jump in the van with, with Sean Russell or something. But, uh, but no, it was like, I don't know, it was weird. But me and him had a different relationship, I guess. Maybe because we, we knew each other as kids or whatever. But um, there was a time our teams hated each other. You know, like Zanotti and, and Rogers kind of got into it over some technical things or whatever. But it was, yeah, it was just kind of weird. Like, we never really... Um, never really got personal, I guess, between Jared and I. Um, yeah, and then, yeah there, was, there, there was no, uh, you know, no one thing. You know, me and Jared, it just the rivalry that led into, you know, that, that stemmed from the results on the track, which everybody thought, oh, that's why they're not friends because they're bad on, which really that wasn't it because the racing was the racing. But, you know, just it'd be like if Briar moved and was Jared's next door neighbor right now, I guarantee you they wouldn't be friends. You know, or if Jared yeah, they, they live, uh, yeah, they live in you know thousands of miles apart, and they still can't uh, still can't look at yeah, each and other, they can't. So. <laughs> yeah, it just you know, and and Jared helped Briar a lot, and Briar stayed at his house, so it's similar to the same thing. Although yeah, Jared yeah. kind of helped Briar get there, but it's uh, I get the rivalry side of it, and it wasn't nothing Jared necessarily did wrong. It's just like. At some point, you don't want to hear about the guy you're trying to beat every single day. You know, you're going to the bike shop to buy an air tube through motocross bike, and they're talking about how Jared was just in there, and he just kicked your butt the weekend before. And then, you know, uh, you go to the gym, and, you know, it's just uh, nothing he did wrong. Just uh, When you guys are working that hard for a similar goal, it don't matter if it was my sister. Like, I wouldn't want to talk to her. Like, you, you, you both put in so much work. And you have another guy trying to take what you work for. It's um, I don't get how everybody's like, there's a lot of riders that are really good friends. Like they hang out, they talk, they go out. It's um, you know, it's hard. It's hard for some guys and it's crazy too. And I want to just make a quick mention of it. Like Jared, I've known Jared forever. Like he used to ride for my dad, like grew up with him. And it's like, the guy has such a unique personality and like one, one minute I would call him and he would like be the nicest guy. Give me, advice haul my bike to a track like be super nice like he he's a he he's genuine with a lot of what he does and then the next day he'll be like an asshole and like make fun of me or like just be like a dick like and he does it like as like joking around and he doesn't get like hey man that's kind of like being a dick probably like i don't know like his personality is like he does a lot of really good for people like he he helps people out he, he's always quick like you call him for like a tax question or promoting a race anything like that he's he'll help you right away he won't even you know think twice about it and then other times he does things like he's just like dude you're a dick like (laughs) but um like you said though when you're working that hard for something it's it's hard to kind of be be best buds with a guy yeah i mean you you all you got the same goal um you're all working hard and uh you know if if you even if you know the guys at home working hard um, and you think you're working harder, but now you see it firsthand, you know, your buddy's texting, you know, well, Jared's here riding motocross. Why aren't you here? I'm like, well, cause last time I rode motocross, I broke my arm. So I really don't think that's a good thing to be getting ready for the season, you know, or whatever, whatever the case was, it was like, I always had to hear about what Jared was doing. And, uh, you know, we were friends and, uh, you know, remain friends through it, but there was just a rivalry and, you know, then never mind him kind of coming out on top a few times. So, it did two good things for me. It made me, you know, more hungry to keep coming back and keep winning or, you know, keep trying to win, I should say. 
um, and keep fighting them because, you know, there was a point there where if it felt like uh, I had nothing but bad luck from the fight glass break into maybe Jared's tire being illegal somewhere and, uh, you know, all the way back to 2009 when we were on the wrecking crew thing. Um, somehow my gas is illegal at Springfield in my XR750 by less than 1% illegal and uh, they disqualify me and lo and behold who wins the championship that year Jared when we actually had a big fat Harley bonus um, from the wrecking crew deal and who was the first guy Jared called to let me know he got the bonus when it was over me I'm like dude if I just had half of those points it would have been mine you know so it's like uh, you know he didn't do nothing wrong he did what he was supposed to do but um, when you're when you're trying to take take his lunch money and he takes yours you're not gonna be happy about it yeah yeah for sure for sure yeah it's uh it is funny it's like you know we, we've we raced each other and battled each other and obviously like i mean i've had i guess i've had my guys i've had issues with or whatever but um but it's when you're not racing it's kind of funny like even a guy that you hated or battled with or whatever like once you don't have to battle them anymore, whether you're not racing or you're doing something different or whatever, it's like, even if you hated the guy, like you still had some, whether they were good or bad, you still got a lot of memories together. And it's like, you know, probably the same thing with you and Jared, right? Like, you know, you guys were friends and then, you know, then you had to race each other every week. And then, like you said, he's calling you rubbing, rubbing it in your face. Yeah. You know, but you know, even people looking in, it's like if I would have just won or he would have just won and neither one of us kept it close or there wasn't drama. I mean, I'm thinking, damn, it would have been pretty boring. Like what would, what would we be talking about right now? It'd be, it wouldn't be a story. We, you know, it wouldn't have kept me motivated. Um, to the, the fire lit to keep coming back, trying to beat him. Um, you know, great memories, even though at the time there were really shitty times a couple times, but, uh, definitely, definitely keeps you motivated and, and a great story to tell now, no doubt. It seems like you guys were pretty much more rivals off of the track more than on the track, if that makes sense. Like you guys never really, <clears throat> that I remember, never had any issues like slamming into one another. That was kind of Jared and Sammy. Um, you know, they, they kind of were more so <laughs> running into each other on the track. I uh, remember at the race in Pomona, Sammy slammed into Jared um, off the corner, and you actually looked back at Sammy. He might have flipped him off. Like, what the fuck you doing, dude? So, um, yeah, you guys never really had any major issues there. But kind of transitioning to the, the, my next question, like, who were some of the guys from a on the racetrack standpoint over your career? Um, who did you have a tough time racing with? Like, who didn't you want to be near or around? Um, I was just asked this question before, not long ago in another interview, and um, the only guy I can really remember is Sammy Halbert, you know, like you just brought up, and, uh, you know, I'm sure we've all had a run-in with him. I mean, not only just because it sounds cool, but slamming Sammy, uh, he, he definitely definitely earned that name, especially when he was younger. Rather, if, rather he was taking your handlebars out and stuffing you off the groove, or just cartwheeling xr 750s every single race and red flagging it you were just like halbert again and uh you know and when he listens to this he'll be laughing you know me and him are bros bros now and ride mountain bikes in the winter and stuff but there was a time there was like man he's in my greatest so man he's on the inside of me and the start of this main event or whatever 
because you just know whether he was a second off the pace that day, somehow he was going to put a wheel on you and, and somehow screw you up. Just even if he's only had you for five feet and you went back by him and never seen him again, he definitely held you up for a minute and let you know he was out there. And, you know, even back to that deal uh, with Jared and Sammy at Pomona in 2012, you know, it was Sammy's only shot at winning that twins or the, the overall championship was, uh, if he took Jared out, essentially, then he come, he just about hit, hit my front end and hit Jared. And I remember just thinking, man, that was a chicken chip move. And I was so mad, not just cause me and Jared were buddies, but just, it was just, I wouldn't want to win it that way. Just clean, flat, clean somebody out. Never mind, maybe kill him. And Oh, by the way, he almost took me along with them both. So I definitely let him know, uh, <laughs> that, uh, on the track by maybe flipping loss. And then afterwards there are some words too. Um, but luckily it's all worked out now for the better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I've, I've seen Halbert probably die about three times and then <laughs> he, he would pass me on the restart. I, I forget what year it was. It was a Pomona one year, probably one of the first years we went back there, probably like, Oh, eight Oh nine ish or something. And, um, I think that was the year, that was the year he was flattrack.com overall champ or whatever. They still had everything separated. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I guess, you know, in the end, he did win the overall points, but it wasn't recognized. But, um, but yeah, I remember going into turn three at Pomona. And this actually, this wasn't really even his fault. Uh, I think Bonzi went down going into three, and Sammy hit his bike going into three. And I swear, he was, he was higher than you were. At uh, <laughs> at Hagerstown, that year. I think he was probably he was probably about Bonzi Texas height, um, yeah. But still on the still on the bike, and it you know Pomona, it's dark, getting roosted like, and like I remember like thinking my like depth perception of it was like, oh my god, he's like I thought he was gonna jump the fence like on the motorcycle, and I'm watching this, <laughs> I'm watching this because I, like I see I seen it happen, I knew there was a red going out, so I'm like I'm slowing down, I'm watching this happen. And he landed on the, you know, aired the thing out, landed right at the hay bales. I can't even, I don't even think there was air fence at the time. Landed right at the hay bales and bow into the hay bales fence. And I'm like, this guy, is, he's done. He's, it's it. And, you know, sure enough, come around red flag and we roll around and come back into three. And I'm like, I'm trying not even to look. And I kind of peek over and I see him. He's like up on his hands and knees already you know, shield blown off, just like, you know, <laughs> the, 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 the wheelbase on the bike looks like it's about 35 inches. Like the, the rear wheels almost touching the front wheel. It's like things just all bent up, twisted up. And I'm like, well, there's one more spot for me. I don't have to worry about him on the restart. And, you know, so we're in the hot box getting ready. We take off, go, you know, I figure Halbert's in the pits or in the ambulance going to the hospital or whatever. And like four or five laps into it, here he comes, comes blowing by me you know, shit flying off the bike. And I'm like, I just thought that guy was dead about five minutes ago and he just passed me. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, for how, you know, the reputation he had, he's definitely grown up and, you know, has learned some things have gotten better, but I mean, the guy had no quit in him whatsoever. I don't know if that was, that was a good thing or bad. It was probably bad for him at the time, but man, that guy, yeah. he was, you couldn't, you couldn't, uh, you know, you couldn't bash him for, for that, for sure. 
No, there was plenty of not only, I mean, it's impressive, but yeah, I mean, if, if we had a dollar for every time we've seen him blow through a fence or cartwheel the thing and same thing, there's been multiple times where I'm like, he's done for the day, maybe the rest of the year. And then somehow his bike gets repaired in the nick of time, still half been up and he's still out there sending it. I mean, he just tumbles in and out at fences and hay bales and XR seven fifties. And it's like a fire hydrant. He's still standing there ready to go. It's, I mean, the good it's, thing about, I like, never got that lucky. The good thing about Sammy and Jared always, they always dished it out and they could always take it pretty well. Like you never really seen Sammy or Jared, like get super pissed about getting bumped back because they were always kind of dishing it out. So <clears throat> I always thought that was, was kind of something you could, you know, they could hang their hat on. It's like, man, they dished that out, but they definitely could take it too. Like I've never seen them really get bitched, you know, bitch about it too much. Um, Sammy would always get under wild skin pretty good. Um, but like Sammy would always kind of be like, Oh, stop, leave me alone. You're being a baby. And Henry would be cursing him out. And Sammy would just be like, yeah, whatever. Just like, I don't know. It was always funny to kind of, yeah, even even with the, some of the stuff him and Jared had going on, I mean, just takeout contest. I mean, the, if it would have been me, I'd have probably been fighting one of them, but just because I'm like, <laughs> you know, it ain't cool, but somehow they would just sit in their pit area and go, well, I'll, I'll get them next time, you know, and I'm like, wow, I, I, it's not cool in my book, but more yeah. power to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, a couple more questions for you and we'll do our underrated, overrated segment, the high low line. But um, I did want to touch upon um, the Harley project, the XG. Um, it was kind of big news. You know, we've always said, you know, let's, let's get somebody on that XG who's kind of in their prime right now is hungry to win. Um, then they hired cool Beth and Jake. And I think Brandon, the first three were the first three, the ride that were kind of like top of their game. And then they kind of shuffled around riders a little bit. And then you came along and it was interesting, mainly for me, I wanted to see what you and the combination of Ricky Howerton could do on the bike. Um, so and you had some success early in the year. I think, I think Indy, you got a second or a third. I know you were on the podium, had good speed. Um, but that whole project never really, even with the amount of good riders that were on that bike it never really transpired, um, to what it could have been maybe. Um, but talk about that, that project and kind of the challenges you faced trying to, uh, to ride the XG and be competitive against the Indian. Yeah. Uh, you know, just like, I think every rider that went there, all 29 of them, um, I went there thinking, you know, I was going to be the guy and, and, and make this thing work. I'd won on an XR 750. I'd won on Indian. I, you know, was one of the few guys to win on a Kawasaki surely me and Ricky can do it. And, uh, you know, the year before that, we went back to the Kawasaki and struggled and finally towards the end of the year, got the Kawasaki to, to compete with the Indian on the mile. So we learned a lot, thought, okay, we can take that over to the Harley, um, and kind of build off that. And, um, you know, tested the thing so much, um, all summer because of COVID, we didn't have nothing else to do. So we were testing all the time. I mean, I rode more laps on a, that Terre Haute, Indiana, in June then uh before the season started and I ever rode a flat track like my whole life it felt like and learned a lot um but unfortunately we only had one podium and I think maybe only a handful of top tens it was just a struggle the whole time and it sucks because there's so many good guys on that team and I you know I give that whole Vance and Hines effort 
or team uh, an A plus for effort, but unfortunately, there's something missing there. Um, you know, the the bike's got the horsepower. The chassis is the same as the Indian. We tried different chassis, more like the Kawasaki, and uh, you know, it's not the chassis. The engine makes the horsepower on the dyno. So what's the problem? You know, uh, the flywheel is the same same size. The inertia is the same. Um, you know, and it needs. I think what they need, if they ever, if they ever want to see that Harley do good, um, is still steal Jared's mechanic, um, whether it's him or Phil Darcy down in Texas, somebody that's a real good flat track engine engineer. Um, if you know, I don't know the correct wording or if there is wording, but somebody that not only knows how to make horsepower and knows the right horsepower and that engine, it makes the horsepower, but it's a, it's a mean and violent you know 100 horsepower like the indian has or whatever it is it's not a smooth clean free tractable power um whether it's the engine dynamics or the ecu which is a whole nother bag of worms with that motec ecu that can get you confused real quick um it was frustrating you know i was thinking okay i had a two-year contract with harley and vance and hines and getting older, hopefully maybe get a couple of wins on this thing, on the mile, because it makes all this horsepower. Uh, and kind of end my career on a Harley like it started would have been would have been a cool story, right? And unfortunately, uh, went to Indy, dabbled on the podium there the one day, and uh, following weekend was Springfield. Well, if it was pretty close at Indy, surely I'm going to be able to lap the field at Springfield. And shit, I think it ran sixth, sixth or seventh there, and that was it. Never, Never was even close the rest of the year. So not only was it frustrating, but it was uh, sad because if if it was sad for the whole sport, because like if I could have did good or any of us on the, that team could have did good, I think it would have kept Harley involved again this year um, or maybe more years to come. So until we see see a Harley do good, whether it's from a privateer or the Vance and Hines team in the Super Twins class, I would I would bet that Harley probably is going to have a hard time getting back involved in the sport. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, it's funny. Like you said, you know, when I, I guess when I got in, I got you know on it kind of early. They they ran a little bit with Davis the year before, and uh, I actually tested the bike, um, you know, that year in like sixteen or something, and like, man, this thing ain't so bad. But you know, then I come to learn later, it's like, yeah, you can feel good at the on a test day and think you have good lap times by yourself or, or, you know, guys on the same bike and you get to the racetrack and you're, you know, a half, three quarters of a second off the pace. And, you know, you go from everybody being happy, high five into what the hell just happened. And, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's a shame. Like you said, it wasn't for lack of effort. I mean, you know, I'm sure you've seen the, the Vance and Hines race shop and, you know, I spent some time there and it's like, they're, they can do anything. You know what I mean? Like you were talking yeah. about Ricky earlier with the CAD drawings and who made this? Oh, we made it. You know, like Vance and Hines has the same thing. And, you know, they, I've seen drawings and, you know, the mach- the machines they have there and the capabilities, it's insane. So it, it wasn't for lack of effort. Um, like you said, there's just something missing. And, you know, I guess each one of us riders or tuners or whatever that, that came in there thought they had the answer, but uh, apparently not. Um, but yeah, it's it's a shame. I don't know what's gonna happen with that whole effort because I mean they don't even produce that motorcycle anymore. So yeah, like are they are they gonna carry on with it or is it 
they going to go away or, you know, are they going to try to do something different? You know, so it's, it's in a sense, it's kind of sad. It's like, man, there was a lot of money and time and, you know, uh, frustration. Yeah. When I, was, I mean, as when as I, was there, I was, I was miserable, but yeah, it, it'll, it, it, if I would have had any hair left, it would have been pulled out last season. Um, <laughs> you know, you, like you said, you go to the test track, you feel good. Um, you make these changes, you get better. Okay, we're we're in the hunt now. This thing feels great, you know. And you, you go to the racetrack when you got to ride that, you know, like you do on race day, you know, at a hundred percent at the limit, um, not at the ninety five percent you're you're testing at. Um, you couldn't get there. Or the Indian, everybody gets on it, and they're just cruising around at your at your hundred percent and. And even for me at Indy to keep up with uh, Jared and Briar that time, it felt like I was having to ride way over my head, and uh, which I did because I wanted to win, of course. But you can't do that every weekend, every corner, or or you're gonna wake up in the hospital. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the yeah, that was the thing. Yeah, like you said, it was like you could ride a hundred percent, but when you needed to go that one hundred and five or just that little extra, it just you just couldn't do it. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I mean, the whole sports, obviously, I think getting ready to make some big changes. I think, I hope, I hope not. I don't, I don't really know. But you know, something. I feel like there's some big changes that are something's going to happen. So I think the whole, uh, you know, either either things are going to go back to where, the way they were years ago, or the sports just going to off in a totally different direction. I don't know. So it's going to be. Interesting yeah, that's, kind of, um, that's kind of a question I had for you, Brian. Like what, it, what's your, now that you're retired, what's your, what's your three, five year plan? Like, uh, you're going to stay involved in the sport. What are you, uh, what are you looking to do now? Um, I know you did some broadcast stuff for the Atlanta TT, which I thought that was really cool. I didn't get to watch it, but I thought it was really cool that you had that opportunity to, uh, to get in the booth. I think it was Ralph and, and Wygant, um, so I thought that was cool. Um, it just, I don't know when, when guys get out of the sport that have had really good careers in it, it's just cool to, um, hear what they're going to do and, and hopefully you stay involved. Yeah. Um, I don't know exactly. Um, surely not a five-year plan. Um, you know, short term, um, I'd like to stay involved in the sport. Um, you know, whether it's broadcasting, um, you know, maybe, you know, helping with a team, maybe helping AFT um, with some of the rules decisions that, that maybe not have been on point the last couple of years with these classes and stuff, um, which, you know, is a whole nother loaded topic with what they're going to do for next year or in the next couple of years. Um, but in my opinion, you know, the twins, there needs to be one twins class and um, a cheaper alternative than an Indian to win a race make a long story short however they go about that you know they can figure that out but that's going to help build build the twins class up and and guys that actually want to move up out of the 450 class and race race for the the grand national championship and the springfield mile in the big class um so hopefully that happens um you know on my end of it um one way or another in the sport personally around home um, i've done quite a few house projects with uh flipping properties i had quite a few rental houses at one time um which is a whole nother job and headache during my racing career that was cool and i still have one rental property 
Um, and would like to do more. I've sold a lot of them recently because the market's so strong and kind of, kind of just holding on to my money and, uh, waiting for some deals to pop up. I'll probably do some more of that and hopefully maybe do some broadcast stuff and something with the sport that's kind of short term stuff. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I feel the same. Hold on, Jake, your, uh, your, uh, hold on, your audio got all weird. <clears throat> Is it good now? Can you hear me? Um, You're good now. Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Yep, yeah, I mean, I say I'm not retired. Uh-oh. Am I breaking up? Yeah, your audio is jacked again. Maybe I think he's breaking up a little bit. Try it again. Uh, hold on. Can you cut and paste, cut this out? Yeah, we'll, we'll edit it. <laughs> is, uh... Nah, your audio is jacked. It's like you're, uh, you lost Wi-Fi where you were. Yeah, you're good. Just Is uh... it possible for me to call back? No, you're good now. Wherever you are now is good. Yeah, seems good. Okay. Here, where was that? Yep, you're good. Um, now we forgot what he was talking about. Uh, yeah, we were okay. going to talk about maybe like you retiring, I think. I think you started talking yeah, about it. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that was that's kind of my plan is, you know, I'd like to stay involved with the sport. Um, not saying I'm retired. I still haven't officially retired yet. But, uh, but it's kind of that's what's kind of frustrating as a, a flat track racer, right? You know, motocross, MotoGP, you know, all other forms of sports. There's, there is kind of an option for X riders or players or whatever to go and do something right with a team or with the organization or whatever. I mean, it, there is that opportunity in flat track, but not really. Right. I mean, there's only so many yeah. teams. And, you know, a successful team, you know, you don't want to be greedy, but you want, you know, you want to be paid for your time and experience, right? And, uh, you know, there just isn't the, you know, a lot of teams and, and are struggling just to get their own team and get their own stuff there, let alone pay some old guy to come hang out with them and, you know, tell them how to ride or <laughs> tell them what they're supposed to be doing. But, you know, so hopefully at some point, you know, I mean, well, been hanging on to this thing and, and always hoping for the best but you know i hope that that the sport gets to there at some point so um a guy like yourself or me it's a little bit easier of a transition you know when you're done you can you know something along those lines um but but yeah we gotta you know it's got to be fixed first we got to build some teams up and get a you know, get a good base again. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Never a good base, but it'd be interesting to see some of the stats there before the Indians um, came into the sport. Um, how many other brands? I know there's majority Kawasaki, but I know there was more Kawasaki's and Yamahas and Ducati in the main event quite a few times. And the XR750 got to be there at the end. And you know, most of those weren't owned by the rider it was kind of little teams like a Weirbach or a Mike Scott that kind of come along so it kind of shows you that if they're I mean you don't want to use the word cheaper but that's the bottom line it's uh, more affordable um, however you want to word it, it sounds politically correct but 
Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, and just like here and your know, the G&G guys, they, they've been around quite a while. And if they, you know, they, I'm sure they couldn't afford to do, you know, three Indians at every race. I mean, you're talking 150,000. Yeah. So it, it just kind of opens up the options, whether it's a guy like Jake going, well, I'm just, I think I can do it better and run a couple miles or something next year if uh, I can I can afford to build a couple Kawasaki and do it myself I know enough people I'm gonna do it or a team kind of starting up you know um, and having some riders or a rider it's just a lot more options when it's more uh, feasible financially than uh, than not in my opinion so, well you also have guys that um, like myself like I I don't mind racing the top guys it, it, I would like that challenge of doing it um, but for me to go there on a Yamaha or a Kawasaki, you're already going to a gunfight with a knife. I think there's a lot yeah. of riders too that are just like, man, I'm not going to race the Indians on a Kawasaki. Like for me, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd go, you know, battle for mid pack. And that's just like, and that's like on a good day. So there's a lot of good guys sitting out that don't have an Indian um, that are just chilling because they don't want to go to a gunfight with a knife, um, you know, and yeah, 100, 100%. That's the problem that's got to be fixed. So, so basically there is a cheaper alternative. You can ride that same Yamaha and be competitive. That's the, that's the magic, uh, million dollar question. Really, is how do you get another competitive with that Indian or what, you know, what's got to be done to get the Indian back in the real world. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad I don't have to make those decisions, man. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely not, a, it's, uh, it's not easy. This transition is going to be tough and hopefully it, hopefully it goes well. And yeah, they, uh, they ask for insight from guys like yourself and Jake and Jared and, um, just, yeah, to get that insight would be, uh, would be good, man. But no, I appreciate you once again for coming on the show. It was, obviously really cool what you've done with your career and just you know i was telling jake i remember your first win at daytona short track i was i was like a fan like i i wasn't racing yet really like i was um just coming to the races with, with my dad he was running a team and i remember like i didn't know anything about you and i just thought it was really cool that you won your won your first race and i was there to kind of witness it and then all the way up till i mean fuck dude you just got you just got second on a on a backup bike you never ridden before at the sack yeah. mile so that's that's badass, man. Uh, everything you've done in between, just a uh, really good career. And uh, hopefully, hopefully you can sleep well at night knowing that uh, you did it your way and you had some really good results. Well, yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's obviously a fun, fun interview and uh, plenty of plenty of other stories to tell in the future. I can come back on and maybe have a couple cocktails and we'll do it at 9 p.m. instead of 9 a.m. and uh, have, a, have, have some fun. But yeah, um, on on the whole Sacramento second place in the bar bike uh, once again you know we all give Jared a hard time on uh on everything he does pretty much because he gives us all a hard time right but um thanks thanks to him and his whole team for letting me ride that backup bike because now I can sleep at night knowing man I'm still can ride a motorcycle pretty good I got up there in second and you know I'm sure there's a lot of talk right now like well Jared only did it so Brian could get get up there in front of Briar and help him in the championship and all that. And I'm sure that was an afterthought, but I mean, Jared's all through the Harley deal last year, he's trying to, I mean, some of the ideas were a complete hallucination of Jared's, but you know, he's, he wants to see me do better as a friend. And that was the sole reason why he let me borrow that bike is because he's like, man, dude, I know you're better than this. He believed in me more than I did. So it was pretty cool for him to let me borrow that bike and 
if you would have said two things, you're going to beat Briar that day, I'd have said, I'm going to be happy to, you know, get fifth and keep up with everybody. Would have never guessed that was going to happen and get second. And then the other funny thing is that if you would have told me, you know, back in 2015 or 2016, when me and Jared just uh, couldn't even hardly talk to each other because we were such rivals to say, hey, your last race of your career, you're going to borrow a bike from that guy and uh, you're going to be thankful for it and get second place. <laughs> I'd have told you no way in hell. And, uh, you know, it happened. Thankful for it. And uh, un- unbelievable story how that all worked out. But, you know, him, Jimmy Wood, Craig Rogers, Kenny Tolbert, they, Bubba, everybody that's part of that crew, my, my hat's off to them. I really, really appreciate that. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a cool way to to end it. Obviously, the, the Cinderella story would have been go out there and win your last race, obviously. But uh, but like you said, to, to go out and be in the hunt and – but yeah, I mean, Jared, he, uh, yeah, the, you know, the history you guys had on and off friendship and, and to end it like that on, on his bike. I mean, obviously, you know, I'm sure Ricky would have liked to see, you know, you and Ricky would have liked to have done it together, which you did. Um, but still it, it all worked out, I think pretty cool. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, sad to, sad to see you go and kind of the weird, weird feelings and you know it kind of like i said makes us feel old and things are things are changing but uh i had a lot of fun and you know racing you and uh hanging out and all the parties and and you know on and off track and uh let me know we'll have to do like you said uh uh 9 p.m couple couple cocktails and we'll do a a brian smith part two After, yeah. after after hours, hours or the, we'll call we'll name it the after party and uh, yeah the we'll, we'll get, party. We'll get into the we'll get into the good stuff yeah the the <laughs> vegas uh banquets <laughs> back in like oh six uh, there were some times man people people would pay money to be to, to be there and, I, and i'd pay money to go back uh, real quick, man. I want to do a, I want to do the high low line. I had a couple good ones for you yeah. that I wanted to ask you and um, kind of a, this or that uh, with a brief explanation. Um, what was a better highlight for your career? X games, gold or national championship? Uh, 100% the national championship. X games gold was pretty freaking cool watching X games your whole life, you know, growing up and blah, 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 you know, ESPN, but my whole life revolved around flat track and the grand national championship and to come up so short every, you know, many times I, sh- I should say, and to finally get it straight up, Jared broke at X games. So that's kind of how I got the gold, but to win the national championship straight up after having to ride four fifties too that year, still, it wasn't just twins. Um, I felt like I really earned it and that was kind of my lifelong goal. So all day long, Grand National Championship over at King Gold. Okay, yeah, I, that's I, I figured you'd say that as a kid that grew up in it. Um, so you, you've done well, obviously, on the miles, the half miles, um, but you're actually underrated as an all-around rider. You mean you've won two short tracks, um, you've podium TTs. So if you got to pick one, as far as what do you enjoy riding more? Are you doing a short track? Or a um, TT? it probably depends on the track, honestly. If we could go back to like Municipal Stadium Daytona short track, I'd pick. Daytona short track. We go to like a big fast PT like uh, Peoria or Daytona um, Super TT. I'd be good with that. But if we had to go to 
Castle Rock TT or Buffalo Chip, no way in hell I want anything to do with that, especially on a twin. So um, it, it all drove into the track, but um, probably a short track at like a municipal stadium or something like that. All right. Who's more fun to have a beer with or multiple beers? Because I guarantee you guys <laughs> never have one beer. Springer? Oh, man, that's a loaded question. Uh, yeah, they're... That as good of a race as the, those guys are on the track, that's just a good, good, good a question. Who's better to drink beer with, Parker or Springer? Parker, you're going to have a lot more beers, a lot longer through the day and night. Springer, you're going to hear the best stories, but when he's done, he's had a few, he's out of there, he, he's gone. So depends on what your mood is. Do you want to have an all-day, all-nighter? You go with Parker. If you want some good stories over dinner with a few beers, and last, you go with you go with Springer. Who drinks more beer, Mark Chesa or Ooh. Parker? <laughs> another another loaded question. Uh, Mark Chesa, <laughs> Scott Parker. I would say they're equal, but the difference is Mark gets Mark Mark blows the groove and and uh, has to has to be put to bed. They can drink the same. Parker can just hold it much much better. Keep his composure. <laughs> yeah you know when mark's had a lot because his eyes are usually shut and he's still walking around it's like all right dude like he looks like weekend rough. at bernie's walking <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh you, you gotta pick one uh let's say for the course of like a 450 season or a single season are you riding a rotex or a framer 450 oh man probably a rotex i i I know I never won a national on a Rotex, but still one of my all-time favorite bikes to ride. I'd, I'd say Rotex. Uh, most of the time is going to be the Framer 450, and they're just fun to ride. Favorite mile? I got two more for you. Sacramento or Springfield? Uh, <clears throat> Springfield. I've won a lot of both of them, but Springfield, you have more of a chance of making something happen there. Um, like Jake mentioned before, Sacramento, you kind of can get stuck behind a guy and held up, um, whether you're the fastest guy there or not. Um, Springfield, you can kind of make some hero moves and uh, get to the front if, if you're meant to be at the front. All right, last question. Unbiased opinion. Who is going to be the champion this year, Breyer or Jared? Who? Unbiased opinion. Um, and. <laughs> I think not just because me and Jared are buddies, but I think Jared's in the driver's seat this year um, for multiple reasons. He's been there many, many times. Um, he's hungry to win it back, really, really hungry. And just the pressure on race day, um, I think, might wear on Briar a little bit more and him coming into this behind the eight ball now. Um, you know, nothing, nothing against Breyer's capabilities and talents, but I just think the position Jared's in and um, it's a kind of win or lose type of thing. I just think Jared might perform better under that pressure is, is why I'm going with him. And I mean, Jared's won a lot of half miles. It ain't like he hasn't. So he knows how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting, man. I'm, I'm excited as a fan to, uh, to take my helmet off and, and watch that race. So that'll be, that'll be good, but not, like again, man, appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, really, we could have, I had so many more questions we could have went on about. So yeah, we'll, 
we'll work on an after hours seg and, uh, and get you back on. But, uh, yeah, appreciate taking the time and, uh, we'll chat with you soon when I'm down in Florida. I'll, I'll try not to bail on the mountain bike ride. I'll bring my, bring my mountain bike and, uh, chase you. Yeah. Guys yeah. Don't bail. We'll, we'll all go riding. Yeah. Cool, man. Cool. Appreciate cool. it. Well, thanks. Uh, yeah. Let me know if you need anything else or, um, uh, yeah, future stuff. And yeah, I'll send you some, uh, amateur, amateur, uh, pictures or something you can post or, or whatever yeah. on the, on the, on the page. Cool, man. Yeah. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, well, uh, look forward to see what you have next and uh, we'll chat soon. Yep. I'll see you down Charlotte. Thanks guys. All right. See you, man. Later. B. Later. Brian Smith, Jake, that was, that could have went on forever. Just so, so much good shit that, uh, we, we, we could have talked about. Oh yeah. Yeah. I wanted to, uh, I just, it just popped in my head right before we got off the line, but uh, this this will be a preview to Brian Smith part two, the after party episode. Uh, I, I would have to say our one of our my proudest moments with Brian Smith was at the after the 2019 uh, awards banquet. Obviously, there was after party. Oh yeah, you know, kind of went <laughs> went spot to spot, right? After we got kicked out or shut down or whatever it was, and I even remember what time it was but you know we had all the kids out right you know Briar, Van Coy, you were out there you know like everybody was there and everybody just started dropping like flies and at the end of the night when it shut down who was the last two guys standing out in the curb waiting for an Uber me and Brian Smith the two old guys <laughs> and when I so, saw Brian at like was- 10 p.m he was already like <laughs> I don't know how he was standing at 10 p.m. for him to pull. It was probably three in the morning when, like, I left at two in the morning. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure the bar closed and I left. Um, and uh, for him and you to be standing there, it was like a rocky Ivan Drago, just two guys standing who shouldn't be standing. Just like, yeah, that was a uh, that was a take notes of uh, how to party after a race. Uh, you know, all everybody should have had their notebook out for that. Uh, he was always, you know, clean. I mean, me and him never had any issues. Uh, you know, like I said, we, I, I got mad at him once or something recently, but you know, it was just me pissed off probably cause I was sucking, but, um, but now, I mean, we raced hard, clean and, um, kind of wild. We we're kind of opposites of the spectrum. Like I was more of a short track PT and, you know, half, half mile guy. And he was the opposite. He was like a half, half mile guy and a mile guy. So, I mean, we had some battles, but we kind of had different, completely different strengths, um, you know, and, and just the way, you know, he approached his final season, like he wants, he wanted to race all the miles this year. I don't want anything to do with a mile. You know, if I were to come back, like I would love to come back and just do one last hurrah, you know, but it would be at the only way it would happen would be at like Buffalo chip or Laconia short track, you know, the, the opposite of Brian Smith. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it's just kind of funny, but yeah, I, I enjoyed racing with him. Like I said, I had some good battles had a lot of good times and uh, yeah, I guess, you know, we'll probably see each other a lot less often, but I think when we do, it's probably going to be, might be dangerous actually. Uh, I want to make sure we thank the sponsors that, that help out the podcast, Bell Power Sports, Yamaha Motorsports and Yamaha Racing, Moto America, Indian Motorcycle, Roof Systems of Dallas, Texas, and Jerry Stinchfield, Dunlop Motorcycle Tires, Brandywine, Harley-Davidson. Make sure you follow these companies on social media. Check them out. 
and uh, shoot them a message for supporting the sport and supporting our podcast. I also wanted to give a shout out to RPM Promotions. They have Circleville, Ohio race on September 25th, one of the, the, the best half miles I've ever ridden. So make sure you check that out next weekend. And then they have a big Tom Cummings Memorial race in, in Hastings, Michigan on October 2nd. Big, big purse money for the pro riders. Um, Tom Cummings, really, really, really cool guy. And uh, we miss we miss Tom and um, really cool tribute uh, to what they're doing there. Hastings, uh, Hastings, Michigan. I, it's another cushion half mile. I heard it's pretty badass racetrack. Uh, that's a wrap. There's a lot to talk about, Jake. A lot, a lot we didn't even get to talk about from Sacramento or um, or Springfield. There's uh, we'll, we'll talk more as we as we uh, get up to Charlotte. But there's uh, two championships on the line, and uh, obviously the Super Twins is is going to come down to the wire and uh, it's going to be exciting for, for the fans. So um, yeah, a lot, a lot to chat about. I appreciate you coming on dude and taking time to, to help me out. I knew you and Brian raced together and had some good stories and I, I appreciate you taking time to, to be my, my co-host. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Thanks for, thanks for uh, giving me the call. And uh, yeah, like we said, there was, Get, we didn't even get to the good stuff <laughs> to be honest i mean and not even just you know joking about you know the after party stuff but just like you know there's so many little racing memories and and uh things you know a lot of them were were bad like probably my top three worst crashes in my career and probably the same with brian we were both involved in them you know <laughs> that hagerstown 83 crash the, yeah. the 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 astronaut you know when we turned bonzi into an astronaut um yeah i mean yeah we've we've been through the the good the bad the ugly all of it so uh yeah it's been it's been fun word well appreciate you guys once again give us a follow on uh social media and uh, subscribe to the soundcloud itunes and spotify and we out